Hi, and welcome to the Silver Screen Queens podcast. Every week we watch a movie and sit down here to talk about it. I'm Katie. I'm Mel. And we're your hosts. This week we watched all of the currently released Star Wars movies in the main canon, but just the six of them that were famous, including the prequels. Yep. <laughs> and people have been on at me about that, yep. and I'm getting really No Christmas with them. specials, no Clone Wars, nothing animated, the five... Films. Six, six, six films. films. <laughs> I understand because we don't want to count so, Phantom Menace. Oh, yeah. But. Up until this point, we've not admitted the existence of the prequels. But for this week only, we're admitting the existence of the prequels. And we watched them for you. You guys had better be grateful because of the things we do for you. We watched the prequels. So you okay. don't have to. Then um, <laughs> this is all in service of the release of Star Wars The Force Awakens, which is now like four days away. And if you want to come and see it with us when this movie comes out, if there's still tickets left, you can go to www.silverscreenqueens.com without the W's and <laughs> click on the link at the top of the page and go buy a ticket. Yes. There's, there's something like 16 left. As uh, Yeah, as at the time of recording, we've got a few tickets left. Um, yeah, so what is the first of these movies that we watched, Katie? So the first of the movies that we watched is Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace, Kill Me Now, directed by George Lucas and released in 1999. The plot goes something like this. There isn't one, but this is what we've got written down. Two Jedi Knights escape a hostile trade blockade to find allies and come across a young boy who may bring balance to the Force, but the long-dormant Sith resurface to claim, reclaim their old glory. That's not – there's no plot. There's mm. not a story. And also, there's not a main character in this movie. No, and it does. It is not well put together. We just kind of lazily open up to see Obi Wan and Qui Gon just kind of chilling. There's no. Well, you're not dropped into the action. You're there's not, like a space donut, and they go to the space donut, and they're there to do trade negotiations. And yeah. they're two of like ba the badass Jedi who are completely neutered in the prequels. Yeah, and they're just sort of wandering around in capes. And the first line spoken by a like a a main character is. I have a bad feeling about this, which means they're trying to like Evoke. appeal to our our nostalgia while also being terrible. And that's how we open the Phantom Menace, an attempt yeah. to appeal to our nostalgia while being terrible. And that sets the tone for the prequels. It really does. And it, it is just the most boring movie and the most pointless movie with the most stupid plot and the most irritating characters that I think it's 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 just one of the worst movies ever made. <laughs> Um, I was trying to come up with something worse, but I really, you know, it's not, it's just so boring. It goes, it's two hours and 15 minutes. It feels like it goes on for about a year. I was oh, yeah. so bored. The only bit I enjoyed was pod racing. And pod racing, firstly, comes out of one of the stupidest plot contrivances in the history of dumb <laughs> plot contrivances. Um. But secondly, it just goes on about probably three or four minutes too long. We just, it's like actually playing a game, a, a lap, a, you know, a round of Mario Kart. You have to do all three laps and they take quite a bit of time to do. It really is. Don't you think? Yeah, yeah we it get, really is. It's, it's like we muck and around. And then at some point you get like something happens to your car and you go off track and you have yeah. to sort of fix it for a bit. Yeah, yeah. And it's just so like, it's a good bit of the story. It looks good. And the, um, the excitement at the end of the race is cool. But again, it's just it's the vroom sounds, I think. It's the vroom so sounds long. while going really fast that get people excited. And yeah, and so that, mm. but that is, um, that we don't get to that till like 50 minutes into the movie. Before that, we have to wander around with Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon, who then run into the princess or Queen Amidala, who, and then they find themselves on Tatooine and they run into bloody Jake Lloyd. 
There are two other bits of the movie that I wrote down that I liked. The two of them are um, the Gungan City looks kind of cool. Coruscant looks kind of cool. Yep. Those were the two bits. And also uh, Darth Maul is a really cool character that is totally wasted. Mm. Um, Apart from that, there's there's nothing. Oh, and the the, um, – I think it's called Battle of the Fates, which is the music for the scene – where Darth Maul fights uh, Obi Wan and and Qui Gon, and that scene is quite good. Yeah, because there's, there's not I much dialogue, but the end of it is terrible. I'm sorry, we're skipping right to the end, but the end of it is terrible because literally for the the for uh, Obi Wan to kill or Obi Ewan, as I wrote him down as <laughs> for Obi Ewan to kill um. Darth Maul. Darth Maul just kind of has to stand there and be dumb for a couple of minutes when he's been like the most badass Sith for the rest of the movie, which makes no sense. George Lucas basically for these prequels went we have to get from point X to point Y. How are we going to do that? I don't care. Just write something in there. This is how the prequels How are we going to get there? Bad transition wipe. That's what's going to happen. We have a a screen wipe. Dumbest possible way. I don't know. Make a bet. I don't know. Trade negotiations. Who gives a f***? As long as we get there, I don't care. Taxation law. Nobody cares about taxation law. Not even in the real world. I don't remember anything about taxation law. All I remember is the the trade negotiations. Taxation of trade routes is in the the crawl at the beginning. Because, okay, what do the creepy Asian caricatures want? I don't know. All that happened was, so Qui-Gon and and Obi-Wan wandering around in their robes and then suddenly we get these super racist aliens coming after them not that the aliens are racist the, the characterization characters. yeah the characters are racist these aliens are, are coded like no that sounds wrong too it's it yeah they're coded they're, they're coded, coded um asian asian but and they're like they have these terrible fake accents that i'm assuming they've really asked dodgy, to put on really dodgy rubbery masks which was something that i wrote down in here is that there's this really strange kind of intersection between aliens in dodgy rubbery masks that you would have seen in the 70s and CG, and there's nothing in between and there's no good makeup. It just goes creepy rubbery aliens. You get to see Greedo as well in his rubbery alien costume and stuff like that mm. to fully CG characters, which now Jabba the Hutt is, and like a bunch of other people. So it doesn't it, – it, it really sits wrong. Mm. Like it doesn't ever quite feel like a unified – film because nothing is 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 consistent mm. there's that problem yeah um, uh there's also the problem of who is the main character of this movie and what is the fundamental sort of characterization to these people that make them a person mm. what makes them characters none of them have anything no none of them are people the, there's so, so many problems with these and one of them is that they just expect that you've seen the old trilogy and that you will understand who Obi-Wan is because he talks that way. Like, it's just stupid. And and then they're even, when you watch them all together, they're actually not consistent with the old trilogy. And it's com- it's completely, it doesn't really think it through because after a certain amount of years, there is going to be a generation of people who watch the episode one first and start from there. And it's going to completely, like, it just Ruin completely the ruins the original. It just messes George everything Lucas up. doesn't think things through. People talk about the originals being like episodes four, five, and six and stuff, but he never, it never occurs to you that he actually planned that as the story in the first place. Because, I mean, let's just look at the Luke and Leia relationship. Mm. He clearly didn't know they were going to be brother and sister. 
I mean, in they, the, otherwise the they wouldn't movie. have been macking on each other in the second movie. Yeah. In the second movie, he clearly doesn't know that no. he's planning to make them brother and sister. I mean, putting aside my whole headcanon that Luke's actually in love with Han and not Leia, it's still super creepy to see them kissing each other. Mm-hmm. Like, it's weird. So he clearly doesn't think ahead. But George Lucas is really good at world building and stuff. Yeah. And terrible at storytelling. Right. And there was probably – and th- that whole backstory, the story of how – a little boy who was a slave who was who had the force in him became Darth Vader that should be an interesting story like when but you- it really messes with the concept of what the force is because in the prequel in the sorry in the yep. originals if you were dedicated and you believed in the force and you wanted to do it you could become a jedi but the prequels fuck all of that up by going well you don't have a good midichlorian count so you know who cares about you this guy has a great midichlorian count. He's the best at the Force, just naturally, because well, of his stupid little aliens inside him. No, no, like no. their bloody, um, what's it? Well, in what's the originals, the re- you, have religion? To, you have to have the Force in you to do to become no, you a Jedi. Have to, well, no, they, they say the Force is strong with you, but the indication is that anybody can do it. But it's oh, like... That is not what I got. Okay. Because if anybody could do it, then I'm like, why Especially wasn't Han f- interested? Or why wasn't, you know, why weren't there other characters who were interested in Well, because Han didn't believe, it's specifically. Well, Han doesn't believe Han in Han doesn't believe yeah, in yeah. the Force. He said he's the, you know, um, hokey religions and no match for a blaster by your side kid. But the concept of, like, you could be somebody who's special even if you're not special kind of gets ruined by midichlorians and all that sort of stuff. Which is, what's the religion, the, the cult that. Tom Cruise. Scientology. Oh, Scientology. I was like, but this is Scientology. Why are you putting Scientology in Star Well, Wars? I think there, yeah, there is that. I Again, I think it's an interesting story that about the arrogance of the Jedi and why they fell. Yeah, the Jedi are dicks in this They movies. are such dicks. Every time Yoda came on screen, I was like, oh, get off here, you little green monster. I was just, I Which hated him. Which is so depressing because Yoda's so great. Well, originally Yoda's so great. Yeah, I just, I hated him in these because he was such... I mean, he to an eight-year he's lecturing an eight-year-old boy about how he can sense that he's got evil in him and that he needs to be very, very careful not to be fearful. Instead of like thinking through that maybe like this eight-year-old boy who is eight and has lived his whole life as a slave who has been separated from his mother because Qui Gon hasn't got time for to be just freeing slaves. No, no, no. That's that's not why. That isn't why Qui Gon specifically can't. Like he 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 does try, but he can't. Yeah, but anyway, but he's still he's been separated from his mother. He's eight. He's lived his whole life as a slave. He's never had a father. He's always had to struggle. He's never had a father because he it's doesn't Jesus. have a father. Yeah, Anakin doesn't have a father. Anakin he is an immaculate Jesus. force conception. He doesn't have a daddy. Um. Yeah. So, and to this eight-year-old boy who is now miles away from home and just in this new world. And who is probably naturally a little bit anxious, but also a little bit arrogant and a little bit, you know, he's a little boy. He's a kid who has discovered that he's special. Yoda just starts like lecturing him and going on and on and on. And then as he gets older, he starts deliberately withholding information and, and the other Jedis do too. And they basically create their own monster. An interesting story, right? But you have to like really dig in amongst all the waffle to get to that but there's a really important problem in there which is a contradiction in what the jedi are because they talk about how fear is the path to the dark side fear leads to hate and hate leads anger anger leads to hate and hate leads whatever um but the fear thing is weird because like naturally all of us fear things but literally in in the movie yoda at some point or the next month yoda at some point says 
I fear that he will do this thing. And you're like, but if you're fearing things, you can't be lecturing other people about not fearing things. And if Jedi feel fear, then what the hell are you talking about? And how come the Jedi Council are making all of their decisions based on fear of something else happening? You guys can't do this. There's so many contradictions. There's also the love contradiction, which is... Oh, yeah. Which is, you can't love anybody, but we have to try and save everybody. But if people die, then it doesn't matter and you should just be happy for them. So what's the point of you? Yeah, well, I think it's like it's like somebody heard of Buddhism where you try and like let go of material things and let go of your feelings and all this kind of thing and then wrote down their interpretation of it. Like they heard of Buddhism one time and then tried to write up a religion based on that, based on something they read on Wikipedia. The Force was definitely better when it was vaguer. Yes. Uh, there's a whole bunch. I wrote pages and pages of notes on this. One of my biggest problems with, the, with this was more a uh, representation of why it's bad than why it's bad on its own. Mm. But the yippee count, the number of times they say yippee, as if people say yippee in the first place in real life, but then they say it all the time. And not just Anakin, whose catchphrase it seems to be in this first movie, little Annie with his yippees. But there's other characters who say it. And you're like, why would you say yippee? Nobody says yippee. Stop it. Yeah. Plus, and and Anakin's stuff, like, a lot of his dialogue is ADR'd, it seems. And it just, he was already like, the performances are all really flat in this. And then they take this little kid and they kind of make him flatter. And then they took him, you know, later on and made him re-record all of his lines again. So it's even flatter. Like Mm -hmm. this poor child. We don't know anything about him. He was a kid. But like there are other actors in this who are good actors, who've done Mm, good work in other things. Well, this is one of the reasons why. They have to spout this execrable dialogue but also like they don't react to things as you would normally expect <laughs> no or like they emote. don't react to things at all oh my god okay so um there's also uh speaking about yoda which we were talking about before none of the introductions to characters that we should be really excited to see have any build-up and they're not epic or interesting or cool like we were introduced mm. to r2d2 we are introduced to three c3po and yoda and all these people and jabba the hut and they just kind of wander in well, three, three, there's no build-up. 3PO and R2 have an adorable little meet-cute. And like, yes, but they don't, their individual introductions mm, don't matter. No. There's, there's no kind of build-up to that. Like, this is a guy who, by the way, has worked with Steven Spielberg, who is the master of slow builds to introductions to big characters, right? Mm. Like, you'd think he'd learn something from them, but Yoda just kind of shows up in a council meeting. He's yeah, just there. And, and back when he made episode four, the way he introduces Obi-Wan is very, is much more Spielberg, Spielberg-esque. Like, he's this mysterious figure and then you finally meet him and the, and the way he introduces Darth Vader and all that kind of stuff. It's just... Okay, so uh, let's talk about Jar Jar Binks, shall we? Okay, yeah. Oh, another racist stereotype there. Um, and Watto with... is also a Jewish stereotype. Right, yeah. I, was, I mostly noticed, yeah, the way he talked was... And I think he's played by a black actor. He is. But the, like... I don't know. Jamaican, I, right? Yeah, it's like something about – Yeah, that, that it just rubbed me really the wrong way, That the way his language. Me so do this and me, like, no. Squeeze me? Yeah, not at all cool. Plus, like, just there are people who I'll argue that he is there for kids, but I think kids are smarter than that. Like, No, kids really do seem to like genuinely like Jar Jar and this movie somehow, even though it's so dull. Like, they like the pod racing. You like the pod racing as well. I understand that some of the pod racing is cool. And, and I remember there was a game that I played where I did pod racing, but I don't remember what the game was. But, like, that goes on for too long as well. It would have been much better if it was shorter. Mm. But the thing about Jar Jar is, like, instead of just having a couple of bits where he's the comic relief, they have 
every single scene has to have a Jar Jar getting a, a comic relief scene. Like there's a bit just before the start of the pod race where for no reason at all, the camera pulls away to Jar Jar, who's at the back end of some kind of animal and the animal farts in his face and then it moves no, away No, no, it poops. Oh, I thought it just farted. There's a, there's a, um, there's the, um, there's yeah. the Jar Jar stepping in shit scene. Yeah. That literally, there's no point to that scene. It, we pull away from the actual action to have this scene and it serves no purpose. Other There's than the very another long, funny Jar Jar scene. The and long one where his tongue goes numb. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, but it's not We have that. like seven or eight of these. You need one or two to kind of give people the idea. You don't need to do it every single time the character's on we stage. We don't need any of it. But the biggest problem is we do need Jar Jar because without Jar Jar, the plot of this movie wouldn't happen. Literally, mm. he he is the one who propels the story forward. Yeah, he's stuff-ups. In spite of the fact that he is the worst character ever ever he is like nails on a chalkboard but worse like he's so irritating and so pointless and nobody likes him his own people don't like him mm. there's no understanding of why the jedi might like him because they screw he screws things up for them all the time which they don't need help with because they manage to screw things up just fine all the time on their own right jedi plans are terrible and then jedi padme, plans are terrible padme le- leaves him in her senate seat says oh can you just take care of things while i'm this in the second movie, but you know, right. like you, you've seen this guy. Do you really think he is a competent replacement for you in the Senate? Yeah, there's a whole lot of stuff with Padme and the fact that she, the the, the replaced, like the the her oh decoys her and her and, decoy girl, yeah, and her makeup and all that stuff is mm. so strange and so like it could be part of a bigger world if they kept building things around it, but it's it's all just snippets of this world that isn't. Like, we don't go into any of this stuff, mm-hmm. so it doesn't seem to ha- serve any purpose. I just, it's strange and it's irritating and, and it's frustrating because it's more things we have to keep track of. And the mm-hmm. biggest problem, I think, this is kind of epitomized in the, in their ending when you've got four things that are happening. You've got Jar Jar accidentally killing a bunch of dro- droids, mm-hmm. just like, you know, falling, stumbling about and killing them, which is terrible. You have, um, the Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan fighting mm-hmm. uh, Darth Maul scene, which is obviously the best one. Yeah. You have Padme and her decoy running around trying to do something about it, the leader of the trade negotiations or something that I don't understand. And then you've got Anakin accidentally on autopilot flying his the spaceship that he's been put in for safety up to the one that's attacking them and then accidentally causing the exact chain reaction that will save everybody and then flying out of there, which is basically doing what the ending of The New Hope is, like, building to for the whole movie or, Mm. like, for the past last act in, like, five minutes by accident. It's so annoying. Mm. (laughs) It's so annoying. Yep. Yeah, and uh, so there's a couple of things that also I've watched this week that are about this. Uh, there's the Jar Jar is a Sith Lord theory. Oh, huh? Yeah. Which is makes the movies more fun but gives George Lucas too much credit. Yeah. <laughs> and there's also one that's really worth watching even though there's a lot of really creepy, gross stuff about, like, how the reviewer is keeping women in his basement to kill or something. It's, it's oh. really, it's like a, it's, it's his shtick, but it's weird and I don't like it. But it's worth watching anyway because it's, it's called the Red Letter Review of the movie. And, uh, it has footage of George Lucas and his cronies watching the movie for the <gasps> first time and going, oh no, this is bad. <gasps> and it's amazing to watch. It just like it it just kind of blew my mind. So if you want to find out some more stuff about it, go watch the Red Letter Review, which says a couple of things that 
that I, we've mentioned because they're obvious things about the movie. But uh, it's also really worth watching just for that footage of them watching it and going, oh, my God, what are we going to do? This movie is bad. Yeah, I'll, I'll link it in the show notes. That sounds amazing. I'll yeah. have to look at that. And just ignore all the weird, creepy okay. people in the basement stuff. So should we uh, move on to the next one? Yes, we should because this is going to take forever. Yeah. Okay. So the next movie we watched was Star Wars Episode Two: Attack of the Clones. Um, directed by George Lucas and released in 2002. The plot goes something like this. Ten years after initially meeting, Anakin Skywalker shares a forbidden romance with Padme. I had no idea this was ten years later, by the way. No, that it is, that's the only place I've ever seen it on IMDb. But <laughs> okay. is, it, I mean, it kind of works out. I, I guess they'd be, he's supposed to be kind of about 18 and she's supposed to be about 20, I guess. Yeah, I guess that 20? That would make her like 10 in the first one. She's clearly about 15. Oh, right. No, she must be older, yes. Right, yeah. 25 or something. Um, yep. So, 10 years after initially meeting, Anakin Skywalker shares a forbidden romance with Padme while Obi-Wan investigates an assassination attempt on the Senator and discovers a secret clone army crafted for the Jedi. One of the many times that the movies just sort of go, we have to get Obi-Wan out of the way. What are we going to do? I don't know. Give him something else to do. <laughs> Leave him on the spaceship. Um, <laughs> that's the first so movie. all three movies yeah. have that plot line, right? Yeah. Um, oh, God. This one... It's an improvement over the Phantom Menace, but that is starting from. Oh, we didn't a give Phantom Menace base. Oh, scores. we didn't. Zero stars. One star. Okay. Um. Yeah, it is starting off a low base, and it contains the whiniest Anakin I've ever seen. Like, oh yeah, I spent this is. whole movie out loud, just saying to myself, "Oh, fuck off, Anakin! Oh, shut up, Anakin!" See, for me, I was like, well, he's a teenager and it kind of makes sense. I was more going enunciate Anakin Mm. and like, because it's just, he he seems really kind of out of his element and out of his depth. And people do blame that on Hayden Christensen, but George Lucas is not a good director of actors. Mm. And you can see that with poor Samuel L. Jackson, Natalie Portman, all these, uh, Ewan McGregor, all these great actors who put in bad to middling performances in these movies. Yeah, and I I don't really want to blame him too much because his performance is bad, but I've never seen him in anything else. So whereas I've, I've seen s- him in a couple of seen other the others and I know that they're okay, but he's clearly out of his depth here and he Well, he wasn't given much opportunity after yeah. this because he was blamed for ruining right. the Star Wars franchise and uh-huh. you're like, "No, George Lucas ruined the fra- Star not, Wars franchise." Yeah, and not this kid, but he's given like terrible dialogue. He's given a not a good character journey. Um, I, we're going to argue about this, but I don't think that prequels adequately explain Anakin's radicalization journey into becoming Darth Vader, and you do. But no, I don't think they they adequately explain it. That's not really what I was saying. I'm just saying they don't adequate, adequately explain anything, and they rationalize it, which is like as the best you can expect from the prequels. That's mm. what I'm trying to... Like, okay. I don't think that there's an adequate explanation of that. I think it goes way too fast and it's silly, but at the same time, there's not much better for anything else. No. And this one, like, thankfully this one has a plot. I mean, we've got a we've got yeah. a war going on and, a, you know, there's a secret... There's secrets and hidden things and whatnot, so that's good. And certain parts that are kind of cool, like there's the chase of Zam Wessel... Mm. Who, by the way, is a female bounty hunter, which is kind of exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, which they, who they assume is male, which is kind of fun. Which is the beginning well, of. That's this right. Movie. She's an Australian actress. Yeah, yeah. Um, yep, I know. Kenzie. Nope, nope. Uh, I know who she is. Um, I have to look it up. But yeah, these this one was filmed here. Wasn't yes, it? that's why you have so many people. Yeah, which who is why like, Jack Thompson shows up and um, uh, what's his name? Joel Edgerton. Edgerton. 
Yeah, there's all the this... one we mix up with Sam Worthington. Right, yeah. And by we, I mean me. Yes. So this is like a period where clearly you and McGregor lived in Australia because he made Moulin Rouge and then this pretty much back to back. Yeah. Um, but Zam Wessel is a kind of cool character and that scene is kind of cool. It reminds me a lot of The Fifth Element. Yes, yes, it totally does. Right? Um, but uh, but it's kind of cool and fun and, and she's gets to be a per- like a character who is mm. a badass, like bad person who is mm. female and there's also a funny line in there where there's the you want to go home and rethink your life with yep. the drug dealer. So there's like some stuff in there that's kind of fun, right? It's not terrible. But then there's so much of this movie that is, especially the romance. Oh, my gosh. The dialogue that they have at one another. I don't even want to say they have together. Because it's so awful. But this was one that I wrote down verbatim because it just – it's so awful. And I think our listeners will appreciate it. Padme, don't look at me like that. It makes me uncomfortable. Anakin, sorry, m'lady. But but the bit just before that is Anakin whining about how something's not fair. Because mm-hmm. I wrote that down and I wrote, it's not fair. And then I wrote, ugh. And then I wrote, plus creeper. So he's clearly yeah. being, that's the, the so, creeper is that look that he gives yeah, it right after he says, he's sorry, such my a lady. creeper. And um, so I've, I haven't, didn't write down the line ahead of it, but I wrote, Anakin is so effing whiny. <laughs> I suppose he's a teenage boy. Yeah, yeah. The teenager bit, especially when he does, he, he says a bit where um, there's two scenes. So right after he kills all of the sand people, which, by the way, is actually an affecting scene when he goes mm. and gets Shmi and she's dying. Yeah. And then he kills all the sand people. But then Padme has no reaction to it. She's just kind of like, oh, okay, oh, whatever. He killed a bunch of people. Mm. Yeah. Um, but uh, right after that, he says that uh, Obi Wan is like my father, which is hilarious because in the very next movie, he's talking. Obi Wan is saying, "Oh, he's like a brother to me," which is really <laughs> funny for me. But yeah. um, he says he's like my father, and right, that's right after a scene where he goes, "It's all Obi Wan's fault, and I hate him that he's holding him back," mm. which I thought was so teenagery and so perfect. Mm-hmm. But like yeah. most teenagers, don't go around and slaughter a bunch of people. Right? Actually, I th- the teenage stuff I thought was done handled quite well. Anakin's arrogance and his his desire just to get out there and do things. And the he's sort of like, this- I'm ready, I'm ready. And the adults around him, and I'm going to hate on Yoda because particularly it's Yoda, but it is everyone Well, around- Yoda's the Dumbledore here, right? Yeah, everyone, all the adults around him deliberately, like they just all, they tell him he can't do things. And Obi Ewan is the serious. Yeah. Um, they tell him he can't do things and then they don't, but they don't kind of, they just say, oh, no, you're too young. Oh, no, you're too arrogant. Oh, you're too rash. But instead Sirius, of he totally is the serious because he also does things like where he kind of leads him into doing the wrong thing while also saying you can't do the wrong thing. Yeah. Well, so Obi-Wan is, is a bit different. Obi-Wan, I mean, f- from the start, Obi-Wan's the, the only one who ever treats Anakin with any semblance of respect. Because he loved him, damn it. Yeah. But particularly Yoda and, and the whole Jedi Council, they just withhold information from him. And so, of course, he runs out and does things that are yeah. rash and he tries to get – he's a teenage boy. It is very boy. much like Harry they Potter, have, actually. Now that I'm thinking mm. about it, it is Order of the Phoenix, which mm. a lot of people hated, so I can understand why and they people have, are hating but, on this. But, like, I really f- – I understood why Anakin would want to do that. Nobody's telling him anything. He doesn't have any life experience to tell him why maybe he should hold back or maybe yeah. he should be less arrogant. So it's your job as adults, especially as adults who have taken on the, the role of raising him – it's your job to take him along and to, you know, protect him and give him boundaries and work through that with him, like help him get through that. It's even more complicated than that because in the first one they're all, oh, no, we don't train Anakin and all that sort of stuff. But in the second one they kind of do a 180 on him where they're like, oh, we need him. But then they also 
put him on the council. Oh, no, that's the third one. They put him on the council, yeah. but they won't make him a master. And they do all this stuff, but they really want him around because he's supposed to bring balance to the Force. So there's this contradiction within the Jedi Council, and they're clearly arguing about it, but we don't get to see any of that. And what we see is the results of that, where the Jedi are just really contradictory all the time. And much like Anakin, who also just sees them being contradictory and also just essentially being dicks to him. And, he's and like, then Obi-Wan is guys. also being contradictory because he's like, follow the Council, but also do the things that I do, which are not the right things according to the Council, and then do your own thing, but don't do your own thing when it comes to this thing. Mm, it's get. Yeah. I'm not surprised that he's confused and all over the place when it comes to his Jediing. Um, that doesn't excuse the way he's awful to Padme, and he just he basically negs her the whole time. It's awful. Yeah, he does, and it's really. Uh, I mean, he is just that. That romance is so unbelievable. It's mm. so unbelievable. There's nothing in that that you can go. Yeah, I can see why they like each other. Apart from, oh, you're pretty, which is gross. Yeah, oh, um, you, you look, really gross. You look just like I remember from my dreams. Yeah, so gross. It's, it's icky and. She's and also she's twenty five and he's seventeen. It's not unusual to fall in love with someone who's eight years younger than you, but there has to be a compelling reason, and there just isn't. Like, there's no no, there's no reason for her to like him. There's no great chemistry. There's no, no like great chemistry. There's no chemistry at all, and <laughs> the dialogue nothing. is is like something that George Lucas scraped off his shoe. And he, it's he so creeps. bad. He creeps. He treats her terribly. And there's no subtlety in any of these. Um, There's also a through line that I became really obsessed with, like really obsessed with. Was it like R2 and 3PO? Because that was my obsessive through line. No, (laughs) no. Yes, but no, because yours is about them as characters. Mine is about droids in general. Is there droid slavery in this universe? What do people think of droids? Because there's this moment when Obi Ewan says, "If droids could think, there'd be none of us here." Which I was like, "That's a weird line, right?" So there, he's saying that droids can't think, but clearly droids have agency because we see C three PO and R two D two doing things that they're not told to do all the time. So they and do have agency for themselves, right? They think for themselves, especially R two D two. How can droids be brave or brave or cowardly? If they don't have agency, and if they do have agency, why are they all slaves? Because there's this like droid slavery thing going on where well, droids all... don't have any choices in what they no, do. No, they're all owned by somebody. Right, they're all owned by somebody. But why is there not a droid uprising? Is there a droid uprising in the third movie that's led by General Grievous? What is going on with that? And if there is one, how does it, like why are people not supporting it? And also, General Grievous is he a droid or is he a like? This mm. it seems to be the indication that he's an alien cyborg that is only part droid. So why would he be leading the droid insurgency? I want to know the answer to these questions. Mm. <laughs> what is going on with the droids? That is my biggest question about the prequels is and the sequels because um mm-hmm. not the sequels the originals because yep then that's all gone away in the well, se- in the original in the original well I mean the originals start with Luke and Uncle Owen buying 3PO and R2. They do, but and, and there's R2, not other droids, so we only know the world yeah, through R2, and, oh, there are, and, and obviously, like, and there's these people who go around and, like, steal droids or find droids and sell them. Or, the Jawas. Um, sell them. And, um, and they also, like, um, R2 has a little chip on him as well, and as soon as he, and he convinces Luke to take the chip off him and then he runs away. No, no, that's his um, inhibitor chip. Inhibitor, yeah. yeah. So they have the inhibitor chips on them as well, so they, they can only go to a certain place, but then. Right, so droid come, slavery. There this is, is what I want to know. About. Droid slavery, yeah. But th- it seems like most people aren't aware of the fact that there, are dro- there is droid slavery because people aren't aware that droids are sentient. Well, yeah, they, I think they seem to think of droids as somewhere between computers and pets. Right. 
But then clearly droids are sentient. So why do wise, so-called wise people like the Jedi not recognize any of this stuff? Why does Anakin treat droids so much better than Obi-Wan? And clearly the droids are going to side with Anakin in this case. And then why does Obi-Wan not remember owning droids in the pre, in the original yeah. series later when he clearly owned a bunch of droids? In the well, not only that, in the prequels he prequels. says flying is for droids. He says that. Yeah. See, he has a whole bunch of moments where he's really racist against droids. Yeah. So – this was my obsession through the whole, all of the movies. Oh I just kept God. going on about this droid slavery thing and how that mm. worked and how droids function. Because clearly Obi-Wan doesn't think of them as full people, which is, again, echoing the Sirius Black connection because Sirius mm. doesn't think of house elves as people. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, yeah. My, my notes have run out on Attack of the Oh, Clones. no, I have so many more notes. Well, I, I have so many. I have 24 pages of notes yeah. on these movies, guys. I, um, I, I mean, yeah. I, I don't really have much more to say about this one, except that I'm totally putting my favourite moment in the show notes, which is Ewan McGregor at the um, Moulin Rouge premiere being told the title of this film for the first time. And he laughs at the reporter and is like, you're joking, right? That's not real. And it is a wonderful, wonderful moment. And Nicole Kidman's next to him and she laughs too. She's like, no, that couldn't be right. But it also doesn't make sense for the movie because no, no. The, who the clones are attacking the bad guys mm. on the side of the good guys. So it doesn't make sense. No. And also they're a minor plot point at best. Mm -hmm. Like they're the yep. Obi-Wan get out, get him out of the way storyline, which yep. by the way, the whole Boba Fett origin storyline is terrible. The Django Fett stuff is terrible. Mm -hmm. Temuera Morrison does his best, but doesn't Again, really work out. Again, Temuera Morrison, another great actor we've seen in other things do a really good job. <sighs> Nothing. Flat and as. I think this is the one that introduces Jay Lagaya as the captain of uh mm -hmm. the guard for the um the mm -hmm. naboo people which yep. is really cool but then also like kind of wasted there's yeah. a lot by the way a lot of maori actors in these movies yeah well they all that all just come off um lord of the rings and they needed jobs but also it was all filmed jay lagaya wasn't in lord of the rings no he was not Cameron um, morrison wasn't in lord of the rings and jay lagaya is it's sala baker and guys. based in in australia too like he's on yeah. our play school yeah. um he is. And he was in Lion King too. I saw him in Lion King. He was great, by mm. the way. Um, I have a couple of other notes. Jar Jar creates the Empire because he's a dick. Oh, yeah. There's occasionally agency from Padme in this movie, which is kind of what? nice. She saves herself a couple of yes, times. Yes, that's right. There's also a really weirdly placed factory invasion slash escape scene mm. with the big factory things where Anakin and Padme are trying to escape from them mm -hmm. that just serves to drag the story out, has no character moments, and is really kind of bad. Yeah, I think which this was... immediately uh, is before the um, big famous Jedi arena fight scene mm. where Padme's super sexualized. Yeah, yeah, because that was yeah. Mm -hmm. That's right. I, I'd gotten bored at that point, but then I, I kind of came back for the arena fight. And I'm like, really? Her shirt just happens to rip like that? Really? Yeah. Well, I wrote that also James Cameron must have been learning from that fight for Avatar because every shot is mm. so busy. And that's what I hate. One of the things I hate about heavy CG movies is when every shot is so busy that you can't focus on one thing. And they were really proud of that in the prequels. They were like, mm. oh, every shot has so much going on. And you're like, yeah, you don't know where to look. And it's so unnecessary. Like, And C-3PO... Again, adding to my droid confusion, C-3PO goes into battle with the head of himself on the body of a battle droid, but both versions go into battle, so C-3PO doesn't want to go into battle. So what's in charge of this here? Is it C-3PO's mind that's in charge of the battle droid body, or is it the battle droid body in charge of C-3PO's mind, or what's happening there? And then he makes a bunch of bad puns, Wonderful including puns. this is such a, such a drag while being dragged by R2-D2, and I'm quite beside myself when his head is next to his body. See, amazing puns. So brilliant.
And then there's the final fight, which is Dooku. Yes, Dooku which nobody and Yoda. Cares about. Nobody cares. But, you know, Yoda wields a lightsaber for the first time. I can, When I saw this at the cinema, I remember being excited about seeing Yoda wield a lightsaber. And tiny and flippy and flipping off air. and mm. Yeah, no, that was kind of cool. Well, that's, that's force leaps, my friend. Force leaps. Force leaps, as far as we've seen, are kind of like Jessica Jones jumping where you just, like... Go further, not like flip in midair off nothing. Yeah, I, I don't know. Yoda's better at them. He's like eight hundred years old. Um, but the the fight between Count Dooku and Annie is just close ups of their faces with lightsabers twirling oh, around them. I know. Because clearly Christopher, Christopher Lee was, Lee was, too, was old. too old for that. Like they do better in the third one, but the it's, second that's one. That's why it's, it's just so that. funny that Christopher Lee is um Ian McDermott's apprentice as well. I'm like, how is he anyone's apprentice? He's, yeah, he's like, like eighty. <laughs> Oh, that's so funny. By the way, I actually do think that Ian McDermott puts in a genuinely good performance as Palpatine. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's carried over from the original trilogy, so he kind of actually – he's the only actor who is? Oh, Frank Oz, I suppose. No. Um, Um, 3PO and – Kenny Baker and – Oh, you guys are going to kill me. I don't remember his name. Anthony Daniels, thank you. Oh, I just read an interview with Anthony Daniels, and I will Uh, also link it in the show notes. It's great. He and Kenny Baker hate one another because Anthony Daniels is a giant snob, it seems. <laughs> it's amazing. He's such a snob oh, no. about it. He's like, I actually perform a character. You're just like, well, you just walk around and oh, you don't no. do anything. It's amazing. And I was watching their, you know, their romance through the whole thing and I was, I was thinking like, these so guys that's hate, real, they hate real. one another. <laughs> He's really a snob towards that's him. That's so great. It's that's so terrible. It's terrible, but like, yeah. Um, there's also Chewie. Oh yeah, Chewie. Yep. Um, Peter Mayhew. Peter Mayhew is is the only actor who's like carried through to the new ones as well. Like he went through the prequels. No, and Anthony Daniels and, and, and Anthony Kenny Daniels. Baker are going to be yeah. in the new one too. Yes. Um. Although I believe Kenny Baker's was. <laughs> it's apparently a courtesy credit, according to Anthony Daniels. <laughs> he was only on set like once, uh, once or twice. He didn't actually. They Aww. they were just had a droid this time. Okay. Um, but um, yes, he's credited. Sorry, yes, we should move on to Revenge of the Sith. Well, I've, we've done 20 minutes on each movie so oh, far, shit. so this is going to take um, a while. Okay, so what are we giving it? Oh, it's a one and a half stars. Um, Two. All right. Okay, so next one, episode three, Revenge of the Sith, the best of the prequels. Directed <laughs> by George Lucas and released in 2005. The plot goes something like this. During the end of the clone – you've written during the near end of the clone <laughs> Uh, no, I've copied and pasted something off IMDb. <laughs> okay, the- IMDb people have written during the near end of the Clone Wars, which makes no sense. So perhaps uh, during the end of the Clone Wars? But none of this makes any sense. Oh, shit. Well, you know what? Make something <laughs> no, I'm up. I'm going to read it. Listen. During the near end of the Clone Wars, Darth Sidious has revealed himself and is ready to execute the last part of his plan to rule the galaxy. Sidious is ready for his new apprentice, Lord Vader, to step into action and kill the remaining Jedi. Vader, however, struggles to choose the dark side and save his wife or remain loyal to the Jedi Order. You know what? That was the best of about five I had to choose from. (laughs) Essentially, (laughs) what happens in this movie... That's like the version of the story if you only see it from the Sith perspective. That's so funny. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um. Anyway. <laughs> oh, this one. I don't even – But I don't know how to describe the plots of these ones. This is why I had to copy and paste them. Look, what do okay, you say? The plot of the third one is young Anakin Skywalker turns into Darth Vader. Okay. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. That's the that's the plot, right? That's the whole point of this story. Yep, that young is... Anakin Skywalker, who we've grown to – Yep, young, young Anakin like. Skywalker leaves behind a pregnant Padme and turns into Darth Vader. Um, so the third one is the best of the of the prequels. Mm-hmm. 
which isn't saying much because it's still not a good movie. And no. to me, it's the most frustrating of the three movies mm-hmm. because it has all these flashes of greatness. Mm. And not just good being good, but genuine greatness that Star Wars had. Mm. And it ruins them by things like a droid going, uh-oh, or something stupid oh, like that. Yes. And it, it just, it's so frustrating. Like the, the scene where um, Palpatine and Anakin are sitting at the opera house mm. is so rife with tension. Yeah. And, and Ian McDermott does such a good job of building that up. And the scene immediately afterwards is something, where, where is it? <laughs> I've written it down. But it's so like frustrating. Oh, yeah, the scene right afterwards is the one with the droid going, uh-oh, where, where Obi-Ewan is fighting General Grievous, who, mm. again, doesn't make sense in the movies because we don't understand what he is. Yeah, because there really are like flashes. There's this one has my favorite piece of dialogue in the entire prequels, which is um, Padme in the Senate saying, "So this is how liberty dies with thunderous applause," and and there is some that that moment of her in of when um, Palpatine takes over the power of the Republic and turns it into the Empire. Like that stuff is really interesting, and especially I was thinking this time of the political context of the time because this was i mean it's 2005 so it's a few years post 9-11 but it's still in the middle of the bush years and the patriot act and all this kind of you know emergency measures and constant war and all this kind of thing so that was politically very interesting and i think it could have it sort of hints at like something more interesting underneath the surface and more interesting things informing the film Mm. and then it just kind of like moves on to the next droid making a blooping noise or (laughs) 3PO doing something funny. Well, that one, um, oh, actually, I don't know what happened. I, I can probably find out soon. I also wrote that this movie was really fatalistic um, in mm-hmm. that nobody can actually make their own decisions. It's all about their mm. own. Which is gets back to what I was talking about before, about how I don't think it adequately explains Anakin's you know, journey to the dark side. It gives him a reason, and it gives him pretty good reason as well. But then you sort of go from him like one minute he's a sympathetic villain, five minutes later child murderer. Yeah. Yes, that's exactly what I was going to say. Yeah, it's my note. It's literally my note. Yeah, like I just don't. I'm fi- I'm with him. I'm with him. I'm with him. I'm with him. He's killing children. Yeah. What the actual fuck? Yeah, no, I, t- I, yeah, totally get that. And the thing is, like, that's what I mean by the moments of greatness followed by stupidity. Like mm. this is that scene where he, uh, where he kills. Um, Samuel L. Yes, Jackson in order to yes. save the Emperor and then he pledges himself to the Emperor so fraught with actual tension mm. and Hayden Christensen puts in a good performance yeah, there. He yep, really yep. works it. Uh, Ian McDiarmid is fantastic. That whole scene is so good. And then five minutes later he's chilling, murdering children. Yes, I know. Little I children. Like, you, yeah, you will do what you have to. Uh, how does a man who is super excited about the imminent arrival of his baby go and then murder like six-year-old kids? Yeah. It and this is a problem sense. That, that they had to get from one point to the other. And I do feel like they kind of went, oh, shit, we have one act left. Quick, stuff everything in there. Oh, he's a child murderer. He can never come back from that. Like, mm. um, At one point I wrote a note that says, oh, my God, a good shot, but I don't know what it's in reference to. Mm. <laughs> I don't know what. But like, the, it is yeah. Revenge of the Sith is the best shot. The score, apart from that Battle of the Fates at the end of the first movie, mm. the score is more on point on a general in general, which is what we talked about with Home Alone, where everything comes in at the right moments. And I think basically Revenge of the Sith comes together better in all of those aspects yep. as well. Like technically it's better. Um, they really kind of had to pull up their pants. Yeah, yeah. And get things done. Yeah, I was thinking 
I made a couple of notes about oh that was well shot as well. The bit I liked the best was the um there's like dueling lightsaber fights at the end. There's Yoda and the Chancellor of the Emperor and um Anakin and um Obi Wan at the end and I think that kind of works quite well cut together. And there is this one that's the point at which I wrote this is literally just lightsaber porn because it's all let's do it in this room, let's do it in that in the Senate, let's do it on a volcano planet, let's yeah. do it on a tower. Uh, Different yeah. positions, let's go. <laughs> Yes, it is. It's lightsaber, yeah, uh, and lava drama, which is and um, and there is um, Palpatine calling Yoda my little green friend, and Yoda doing his best Kermit face. Oh, that's not the worst part of that. Those scenes, (laughs) the worst part of those scenes are these two lines, which I've written down. From my point of view, the Jedi are evil. uh, In in response to Palpatine is evil, which comes from Anakin saying. uh, I mean, literally, from my point of view, the Jedi are evil, not just. No, the Jedi are the ones who are evil, but yeah, from my point of view, where they're view, spelling it yeah, out. Yeah, it was so badly. It's so clunky. Like, these people are fighting for their lives. And then, I have the high ground. You can't win, Anakin. I have the high yeah. ground. <laughs> Did you know? Kill I, me, kill me dead. I recently watched a Mythbusters episode that was all about disproving that or proving that. is If you have the high ground in a lightsaber battle are you or a sword fight, are you going to win it? But it doesn't matter because no. he has the moral high ground, yeah, you see, so he has to win. I know, I know. But I, anyway, I so I've seen that scene like over and over and over again because of this Mythbusters episode where they actually recreate that fight. Um, um, yeah, and that that's the bit where he says "I loved you" as well, which is like actually genuinely yes. makes me upset. Also, Obi Wan um, is super hot in this movie, mm-hmm. and uh, you genuinely feel the connection between Obi Wan yeah. and Anakin, and well, it works well. And that you know, we were rooting for you, we were all rooting for you. Yes. Bit kind of works really well. And, and I loved you like that is affecting. If they'd yeah. had less of the crappy. From my point of view, dialogue and more of the "I loved you." You're breaking my heart, Anakin. Yes. Oh, I hate it. I hate it because yeah. it's so bad and it's like so frustrating because these actors really are trying. Yeah. You know, Obi Ewan does great in that scene. Mm. Hayden Christensen actually kind of acts in that scene. Yeah. Natalie Portman gives something to that scene, and yet the dialogue is execrable. Mm-hmm. It is so terrible. Like it's placeholder dialogue until they can find something better. Yeah, and and. and- in the best bits are the bits where there is no dialogue. Like um, at the end when Anakin's lost his legs and is on fire and Obi-Wan walks away, he doesn't just walk away. He kind of – you see him struggle with it. Yeah. And you know that Padme is not well and he needs to take care of her so he's he has to go. But No, okay. Why is Padme not well? Oh, she's dying of a broken heart, Katie, because of how much they love one another. <laughs> she – I hate the, – the, the thing is after that scene it goes to the cut between the two scenes where Anakin – is turned into Darth Vader and the no, and he's told that he killed Padme. And then and that's Padme cut giving birth. with Padme pumping out the babies in that metal skirt thing that doesn't open up wide enough for her legs to spread far enough to make babies. And then going, oh, that one's Luke, that one's Leia. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you're so stupid. Oh. <laughs> and, and also, like, Obi-Wan just rocks up at Owen and Baru's place and is like, here's a baby. No, no explanation, no nothing. He's a baby. His name's Luke Skywalker, obviously. Continuing in the grand uh, tradition as well of uh, Jedi plans where they go, who can we put these babies with that they won't possibly think of to find them? I know, one of the few guys in the galaxy they're trying to kill, which is um Jimmy Smith's yeah. Organa, Bail yeah, Organa. Organa, Bail mm-hmm. Organa, and his Anakin's own fucking family. Uh, yeah, Anakin's stepfather. Yeah, that's, that's oh, stepbrother. Step- 
That's the way to do it. <laughs> that totally no works. There's way that Anakin Skywalker, now Darth Vader, one of the most evil people in the universe, might send somebody back to try and kill his own family. No, that would never happen. Also, he doesn't <laughs> – he's given his father's name as well. Yeah. So, like, it's super easy for Anakin to then realize when he meets Luke Skywalker that that's his son. Yeah, I know. Uh, <laughs> Talk about protecting them, guys. Yeah, no, I didn't chance. you know send them off to Dagobah or some random out of the way planet and have them live with you know other people? No, no, no. Let's do his father's stepbrother. Yeah, like yeah, just yeah, because that that there's that opening scene where like all of the I I rem- remembered watching it that at the time there were a lot of Obi Wan and Anakin shippers, mm-hmm. like because. There's such a good, genuine, honest connection between them in Mm -hmm. the original, like in the opening of this movie. And and there's this bit where Anakin won't leave Obi-Wan, even though Palpatine, who is the person Mm. that he ends up trusting the most, tells him to. He just won't leave him and he carries him with him and then he wakes up and they're in the elevator shaft and they they have chemistry and they Mm. have snark while working together and it's funny. There's this line where Obi-Wan goes, Sith Lords are our specialty and it's like they have a little moment. Yeah. There's all this stuff that kind of works. Although there's also a line that says, "How did this happen? We're smarter than this." That made me laugh for like no, five no, minutes. you're not. <laughs> They're not. Um. Yeah. If only he'd had some kind of connection like that with Padme. You know, the woman I he know. was supposed to love. Well, this movie actually had the best scene on that front as well, which mm. is when she tells him that she's pregnant. Yes. And there's that mo- moment of, "Oh shit, this is happening. I'm going to have a baby," and then he's happy. Yeah. And that, and she's kind of worried as well, but also happy. And that they mm. play levels. Right, and it's a very... Levels? Yeah, and it's like a real moment between them. Yeah. Uh, Again, all that happens without dialogue as well. She tells him that she's pregnant, but you see it in his face. Oh, Mm. shit, this is going to happen. Yeah, exactly. Mm. There's just a break till he says something. It's so much more frustrating because then they do stuff like get over you and out of the way Mm -hmm. with this other storyline. They keep leaving each other and going out of the way and, and... doing something else while Anakin has the real storyline just to get Obi-Wan out of the way while Anakin goes to the dark side. Uh Um, And I wrote notes, how to create tension, George Lucas style. One, put character we know will survive in mortal danger. Two, forget about them for 15 minutes. Three, oh yeah, don't worry, Obi-Wan is still okay. (laughs) That's what he does. Accurate. Yeah. Um, Also, I just... Tension. Because I just watched Return of the Jedi, Leia in Return of the Jedi actually talks about remembering her mother. But <laughs> yeah, that's if right. Padme is dead like minutes after giving I birth. I think it's her adoptive mother who also died. Oh, God. Everyone's mum dies. That's yeah. awful. I, th- I believe okay. that Bail Organa's wife dies when Leia's young, okay. and that's the mother she's remembering, not okay. her birth mother. Right. Well, that makes a bit more sense, I guess. But you guys are probably going to correct me on that. I think I, I've seen somewhere that that's about like Leia's adoptive mother dies. Mm-hmm. And then. The other thing I wrote is even though Return of the, Revenge of the Sith is the best of the movies, it's still not a complete movie with its own story. I mean, none of, the of them are. That's the problem. It feels like a lot of ending. You're all just working towards Episode Four, basically. We have to hit these marks. We have to hit this. We have to hit this. Hit this. Introduce these people. Do this. Make this happen. It's just it, no. It doesn't ever quite finish. And because of that, it's all really confused and disconnected. Like there's this whole bit about how the Jedi are getting weak in the Force. Why? We don't know. The Sith are coming back, but that doesn't seem connected yeah. to them. No, weak in the, the force. Jedi are weak in the Force because they're arrogant. Because they don't know, like they they're just acting like they own the place, and they don't. And also, they're not very clever about like they're they're um uh what's what hubris is what I'm thinking of. Also, 
there's no particular sense in the original trilogy that Darth Vader is the most powerful person in the Force. No. That's something that's created in the prequels. And if he's the most power- powerful person in the Force, why is he still following the Emperor around like a puppy? Right, because Return of the Jedi, he's genuinely like conflicted there at the yeah. end with the Emperor. Like he's got to follow the Emperor and he's being asked to do things and asked to do things and Luke is what breaks him out of that eventually. And like, And you don't see any of that in Anakin. There's no mm. kind of... There's no kind of setup of that in Anakin, of Anakin being somebody who's a follower. He is. You do. I think I. I. I mean, it's probably for discussion when we do Return of the Jedi in like an hour's time. But um, it really is being twenty minutes on each. Um, but in Return of the Jedi, I can see a bit of Anakin in Vader because at, at that point he sort of becomes the apprentice again. It's sort of that, and and I I actually get the parallels kind of feelings yeah. of Anakin in the in Return of the Sith and Revenge of the Sith and Return of the Jedi. But I do, yeah. but I also think that they could have planted some of that stuff as in Anakin as a person rather than you going, know, he's what, so powerful because because they, but they did that because Darth Vader is thought of as cool mm-hmm. rather than because it's actually organic to the character. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's like how they made gave Boba Fett this whole backstory yep. because people think the character is cool, not because it feels organic to who Boba Fett will end up being. Oh, well, yeah. And there's a whole problem with the prequels anyway. Oh, well, that's everyone thinks that's cool that Darth Vader is Luke and Leia's father. So let's explore that. Um, Yeah. Oh, and why do they wipe C-3PO's memory and not, not R2's? Yes, at, although following it on in continuity, it seems like R2's had his memory wiped by the time we get to Exactly, New that's what I, why I wrote that down. Yeah. Um, the Vader mask turning Hayden Christensen's whiny, like, LA boy accent into James L. Jones. <laughs> which, when Leia puts on that, that mask, the uh, when she's a bounty hunter, you can hear Leia in it. Yeah. There's these awkward pauses, like mm. these pauses that... Uh, the way Carrie Fisher speaks as mm-hmm. Leia, you can hear that it's Leia, but her voice is altered so that yep. you can't, and it's flat and stuff, so there's no, mm. you know, uh, emotion in it. But there's no way Hayden Christensen turned into James L. Jones. No. There's, there's no, his whole intonation completely changes. It's a totally different person. And then I got annoyed that there was a Death Star and that they hid Leia in Middle Earth, which I think they just shot that in New Zealand, but anyway. Mm. And then the movie ends with a shot of the two sons, and that's it. And, uh, we would go on to the next one. Yes, we should do that. Okay. So the next movie we watched was Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope, directed by George Lucas and released in 1977. The plot of this movie goes something like this. A teenage farm boy from the desert planet Tatooine gets a mysterious message when he buys a second-hand droid. Teaming up with the wise old Obi-Wan Kenobi, the arrogant pilot of the Millennium Falcon, Han Solo, a Wookiee, and two droids. Jeez, that's too long. Uh, they find Princess Leia join her rebellion and attempt to destroy the evil Darth Vader. Well, I did, you guys kept following that. I didn't. I had to write this one because I didn't know oh, what sorry. to write. So, what would your one-sentence summary of Star Wars be? I thought it was an IMDb one. No, again. I wrote these ones because I just watched them. What would your one-sentence? Really bad now. What? No. What would your one-sentence summary of Star Wars be? Because a teenage could, a teenage farm boy on a desert planet is uh um has his world top, turned upside down when his uh family is killed and joins a mysterious rebellion in order to fight the Empire. Perfect. Okay, we'll go with that. Anyway, Star Wars, actual Star Wars. Now, we know we've reviewed this before and we, we so this and Empire Strikes Back actually had their own episodes like really early on in the podcast. I can't for the life of me remember what we gave them, probably like five and four and a half. Oh, um, I would have. Although, yeah, that um, would have been five for me. We didn't rate Revenge of the Sith. Oh, uh, three stars. Yeah, three stars. I 
that's fine. All right. Sorry. Yeah. So anyway. Two and a half. No, two and a half. Anyway, back then I was all like, eh, I'm not that attached to Star Wars. But I don't know, some, for some reason watching them again this time, I felt like like coming home. Well, I mean, really in comparison nice. to the prequels, they must have been like yeah. masterpieces. Well, well, true. Yes. Um, I just was. And I got to watch the despecialized edition because I first, wow. as, as I explained in the, um, when we did an episode on it, I didn't watch these until 1997 when they were re-released. Hmm. And so I've only ever seen special editions, but I managed to get a hold of a non-special edition version of it, of Star Wars, but not, not of the others. Um, this time. I it, love you for calling it Star Wars, man. <laughs> but, and it was great. Like I actually got to see Han shoot first and no Jabba the Hutt. And like, it was cool. And, and also none of the stupid little creatures that, Populate, oh, yeah. populate it. Um, but it doesn't matter. Even with the creatures populating it, this is such a solid, well-made, well-scripted hero's journey film. Like it's just – it's a perfect piece of they, – they t- there's a reason they teach this in screenwriting class. And it's also it, – it is easily out of the six films the most complete on its own. Mm-hmm. It, is the, it is the most complete story. But there's a lot of stuff that I don't think we get it given enough credit for – Leia is a badass in this movie. Yes. She is absolutely, like, she doesn't take any shit from anybody. She is giving Han Solo so much crap when he comes to save her. She's, well, you guys are going to take orders from me. I'm in charge. I'm the boss. She doesn't give up her rebellion to save her own planet. She gives them a lie. Yep. Like, she is amazing. And she is just so, so hardcore. I mean, she's. Hermione Granger. Right. And she and that is maintained through all three of these original trilogy as well. She yeah. is ama- an amazing character and she never stops being the boss. She right. never stops being I'm so angry with Empire the, who recently rated her the tenth best character in Star Wars. <laughs> and I was like, Really? Really? Below Boba Fett, Leia. She's yeah. so much better than that. And um now you now I'm remembering some of the things we did talk about when we reviewed this movie about Uh, stupid fanboys putting me off Star Wars because I didn't know who (laughs) Boba Fett was. Um, Anyway. uh, I feel like I'm going to be that person but with Captain Phasma. (laughs) You're like, Captain Phasma! Uh, Yeah. Um, But, like, this is just such a – like, it's almost a perfect movie. I would – like, it it just – it it flows together and it is complete, which the other two aren't. Um, no matter how wonderful Empire is and it does – Empire Strikes Back is and it it is pretty – pretty damn good it's not a complete film and it is setting up for the third one and um somebody was also talking to me today about how it doesn't it it holds up the least well in the entire canon when you include the prequels because a lot of the stuff in the prequels just makes the second one kind of superfluous Mm -hmm. which i understand and also is depressing which is why i don't count the prequels as real star wars no no this is the only time you'll ever have to submit to that the prequels exist um so it's and it's also full of these amazing bits of dialogue that are just um, I did like again watching through. I I noticed all these bits of dialogue that are just completely normal bits of English. Now they've just completely devolved into the vernacular. Like, who's the more foolish, the fool or the fool who follows him? Or just like simple little bit. Um, you'll never find a more wretched hive of scum and villainy and terrible CG robots. I hate you, George Lucas, so much. Yeah, yeah, and I got to watch it without those this time, and it was fantastic and hard they shot just, first. They're so bad. They're just these little comedy asides of, like, uh, creatures swinging from yeah, other creatures George and Lucas, comedy robots and stuff where you're like, why are you doing this? You, you just said that this place was terrifying and now you're showing us stupid cartoon robots. Mm, he's, it's, he's really bad at that. 
he just loves that stuff and he wants more of it and he doesn't know when to stop. Like, it might be okay if there was one little comedy aside robot per movie, one little aside in each movie. I could probably live with that. I could probably live with a little bit of comic relief here and there. Well, there are then, in the original trilogy, but they aren't yeah. the same. They aren't. They don't have this, like, they, they have more of a childlike quality than a childish quality. They, they, they're, they're more kind of lighthearted than stupid. Yeah. You know, and there's a, there's a line there. And George Lucas doesn't see it. Um, but there are some notes that I wrote that I don't think I talked about last time. There's stuff like yeah. there's uh right at the beginning of the movie when Darth Vader grabs the guy by the throat and lifts him, mm-hmm. and the rebel's little feet are dang. There's a shot of the rebel's feet dangling yes, when yes. he's lifted off the. I love that shot. That shot made me really happy because mm-hmm. I was like, and and Darth Vader, it makes Darth Vader really effective mm-hmm. and really scary. But it's also it's something that I feel like they wouldn't do in the prequels unless there was something silly going on in the shot as well. Mm-hmm. And it's that is like how you make a good movie as opposed to a bad one. And that's one. how you do a sight gag without resorting to some dumb CGI character. But it's also a sight gag that advances the plot. Mm. It shows you who Darth Vader is. Yeah. You don't have to have something silly in it. It shows you who Darth Vader is, but it's also like a And you don't need way. a shitty piece of dialogue about how Darth Vader is the worst. Because you see Darth Vader being exactly. the worst. And then there's a really long period where there's only droid dialogue, but it's kind of cool anyway and it's mm. entertaining anyway. Well, R2 and 3PO are, p- are perfect. Like, they're just right. great. And every so often, but after that, there's a long period of time when only R2-D2 talks to other droids that don't mm. speak English. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which is why I said droid dialogue, because I don't want to say that they're not speaking, because they are speaking in droidish, or yes. whatever language they speak. Uh-huh. Like a um, like Groot or whatever, you sort of have to fill the dialogue in yourself, which is part of the fun. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I just... The- the whole thing is just perfect, and it all it all looks so beautiful as well. Like the big sweeping landscapes, and then the um, the, um even the way the cantina is set up, and the way they meet we meet Han Solo again. One of oh those god, the Mos Eisley cantina and the music, chari- there. yeah, and the beautiful character introduction of Han Solo as well, where he shoots a guy, um, and just like it's all done so. And like we were talking about before, Obi Wan Kenobi gets a, a properly Spielbergian introduction, mm-hmm. um. The Millennium Falcon, we come upon the Millennium Falcon in this – we're sort of – I think they're – yeah, that's right. They're trying to run away and get out of Mose Eisley. And um, we sort of come around a corner and there she is. And it's this beautiful, like, moment. Of, you, you see her for the first time and you're like, huh, there she is. Mm. This is going to be good. Of course, it's all Leia being like this bucket of rust. And Leia actually gets a, Spiel, a full-on Spielberg introduction because we don't see her face at first when she's yes, recording. Yes, yes, yes. And then we see her come around the corner and we see her buns and the whole thing. So she actually gets like a proper... Yeah, and she also gets to meet Luke in the most fabulous way possible where Luke busts on into her, her cell and is like, I'm Luke Skywalker. I'm here to rescue you. And Aren't you she's a just short, like... short for a sh- stormtrooper? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and what? It's oh, the costume. And it's amazing. Like, and, and it's the then, other way around. And we just, the trio come together and they're just perfect and they have this wonderful chemistry and there's this this ship that's, you know, and, and, and Chewie and all these other members of the team that are all just part of it and it's perfect. Mm, Chewie, I love Chewie. Um, there's, uh, there's actually a line earlier on where Obi-Wan is talking to um, Luke about the Force and all that stuff and he says um, about Anakin, he says, and he was a good friend, but it really sounds like Annie was a good friend. I, I heard that too, yes. Yeah, and that just kind of entertained me for a moment where it, yep. it it made me, because I didn't mind Revenge of the Sith and I felt that connection, it kind of made me go, oh, for a moment. I did exactly the same. I was like, oh, little Annie. Back when they were friends for a little while when he wasn't the worst character ever. Mm. And and Obi-Wan totally makes like, uh, no, sorry, uh, 
Obi-Wan totally makes his mistakes that Obi-Wan made. Like, mm. he's training him even though he's too old and he knows that there's certain things that this right. kid is like Anakin, but he wants to train him anyway because he sees this. Yeah, but he's still... He, he's he's also, serious black. Right, but he's also wise enough to, to know to hand him over to Yoda. I mean, he's dead, so that makes it easier. But he also, he's wise enough to recognize that he needs to go to Yoda. Yeah, I th- but I do see him repeating his old mistakes right. and hoping it does better this time. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, and you see Yoda repeating his old mistakes and hoping it does better this time. Yeah. Um, but there are other things where it doesn't match up well, which includes the scene. Um, I was really interested in how the, the Empire were the British and the Rebellion was Americans this yeah, time. Yeah, and yeah. how ev- it's like everybody, it's not just some of them, everybody on the Death Star is British, including that Council of the Brits. Yep which entertained me. Like, I was really into that this time for some reason. And uh, that whole scene made me really interested. But there's a, there's a line that somebody says that it's an ain't, ain't, that following the force is an ancient religion. And I'm yeah. like, yeah, one that was practiced 18 years ago. Like, this is in living memory. I know, right? This the Jedi a- only fell 20-odd years ago. And the Jedi were, like, openly practiced and recognized all over the galaxy well, before then. They were a major part of the Republic before it turned into the Empire. Yeah, and this is not that long ago, so that makes it all kind of fall I know, apart it's, it's all a bit ridiculous, isn't it? I think I mean, when you're old enough to think of 20 years as not being all that long. Well, no, because, yeah. I mean, you know, it, it really isn't all that long. But also, these guys are clearly over 20 years old right. so they would remember and i can I mean, understand if there's an empire like campaign of this to- is an ancient religion don't believe in it but at the same time there was there are still people in living living memory who can go well oh, the these Jedi. guys were around a lot a while ago. right but i mean like but then there is only obi-wan and yoda left and yoda's not out in public and which Obi-Wan's is crazy by name. the way the fact that he could have killed all of the Jedi except for those two is crazy. I know. It does, and it doesn't make sense. Again, it's like a um, sympathetic villain to child murderer in three seconds. Yeah. It goes from Jedi are all over the place to there are two left in three seconds. Mm. There's there's also a line in that bit where they go, it is possible, however unlikely, that they may find a weakness in the Death Star. And you're like, yes, like a you giant think- hole. And then they, they learn nothing because the third movie – they have a great big thing where you can just fly the Millennium Falcon into the middle of the ship, blow up their power source and fly out. Yeah, they really didn't learn anything. It's terrible. I also wrote Peter Cushing, love heart, love heart, love heart, because he's so good <laughs> in this movie. Yeah, he's great. Grand Moff Tarkin is the best. Well, they, and he creates this genuine sense of like fear. This is um one of the early big blockbusters where they actually got respected British stage actors to kind of play um not just villains because obi-wan kenobi as well yeah to like you know alec guinness hated this movie right yeah i do i do <laughs> which is why it's amazing because you know it's the one thing most people know him for <laughs> i mean i'm sure there is he was on bridge on the river choir wasn't he i mean there'd be people who know him for other things but he was this super well-respected actor but this is this is the first one that actually brought them into kind of class up the joint which yeah. is exactly what they still do they bring yeah. in tom hiddleston or whoever to yeah they really do and it doesn't always work. And this is like the beginning of that tradition of bringing in, you know, the Peter Cushings and the Alec Guinnesses of the world to be. Well, Peter Cushing wasn't really a respectable actor. He was a uh, uh, Hammer Horror actor. Was he? Yeah. No, I he was. I associate him with like um, uh, like stage work and Royal Shakespeare Company. Oh, no. Yeah. Um, for movies, he's much more famous for playing Van Helsing. Mm. Um, opposite Christopher right. Lee's and Dracula. so him and Christopher Lee were exactly. both in these yep. but also the line only Imperial Stormtroopers are so precise makes me laugh every time <laughs> oh, I so know. you're like yes they're so precise at missing their targets every yep. time 
Um, let's see if there are any other notes. A lot of my notes are just love heart Han, love heart, love heart Leia. <laughs> like, and I love Han so I, much. Han I don't is, understand. Han is amazing, and I think probably the reason people love Empire Strikes Back so much is the Han stuff. Oh yeah, yeah, he's absolutely. just amazing in that movie. We'll get to that in a second. But um, I think also uh. There's Han Solo has the best journey of anybody in any of these movies, mm-hmm. and um, George Lucas tries to take that away by having Greedo shoot first. Mm-hmm. That's why Ugh. Greedo shooting first is such a big problem. Oh, I know, is because Han Solo has to go through a journey of being a guy who would kill somebody because this is what he's the corner he's backed into, and this is how much yeah. of a scoundrel he is. To a guy who goes and saves his friend, like against all odds from everything mm. like in the beginning of the next movie to a guy who you know will risk his life for the rebellion yes this is this he has the best and journey also like let someone else pilot his ship for the oh, rebellion yeah. more importantly yeah and he has all the best lines and harrison ford is so attractive <laughs> and, but and so charming like there's so this the th- that's the other thing there's so much of the actors in the characters mm. i think i mean part of the reason is that I mean, Luke and Leo um, were cast, the actors who were cast in those roles were so young, like they were 19 or something yeah. when they played these parts. And, and, and Harrison Ford is, is, is quite a bit older. But much like the Harry Potter trio, they were they cast actors who were a lot like these characters, particularly Harrison Ford, but I mean the other two as well. Like, I mean, Carrie Fisher is also like a badass oh, yeah. boss bitch She's who gives amazing. no fucks. And that carries through into Leia. And she like when Leia is stubbornly doing whatever she's doing, you're on her side because you like you really believe that and you really believe that this tiny little five foot nothing woman who like she's so tiny as well, like she's between the other two. Um, you really believe that this five foot two woman is like absolutely of controlling armies. The boss of this rebellion. Yeah. And and you really do believe that Han Solo will pause for a second and look at you for a minute before delivering some terrible comeback which is also a wonderful comeback yeah and but even just within this movie the the journey between especially between han and luke is so sweet mm. and this is like i i've sort of become fixated on this more and more as i get older mm. um this idea that i think luke is in love with han solo um but the the fondness that that han develops for luke mm-hmm. who is this whiny farm boy kid yeah. who comes along out of nowhere is so sweet and there's this movie I mean, there's this moment after Luke's lost his – I mean, Luke loses so much. He loses his family and then he loses his daddy substitute and, mm-hmm. you know, he's sad and Leia's putting a blanket around him after she's lost her whole planet and everything's kind of sad. And then Han go- comes in and he goes, come on, buddy, we're not out of this yet. And he has to get him to come and fight. Yeah. It's so sweet. And I just can't – it's so – they all come together in this, like, trauma and Han has to set up to step up as the guy who – hasn't lost as much as the other two and mm. kind of be the responsible one. And uh, it just it's makes me wonderful. And that's what Ron does mm. yeah. as well. There is also a line where that somebody, maybe Grand Moff Tarkin or someone, says um, about Obi-Wan Kenobi, surely he must be dead by now. And I'm like, bitch, he was 40 last time you saw him. Yeah, right. <laughs> Definitely wasn't anywhere close to dying by the time we last No, saw right? Him. Like, he's 40 and he's a Jedi. Yeah. Like, Yoda is nine freaking hundred. And then right at the end of the movie... There's when they have the medal ceremony. Oh my god, the wink! And no, no, not the wink. The wink is cute. It's actually a bit before that when um, Luke is like Leia's trying to be all professional. Yeah. And then Luke is all nervous at the ceremony, and she looks at him and she smiles, and I'm like, oh, 
that bit mm. got me more than the winking bit because I remembered the winking bit, but the smile just before that where she, like she breaks because these guys are her friends and they have such good, genuine, honest chemistry between them mm. and stuff like that. I also wrote great sound design because yes. the TIE fighters sound different to the mm-hmm. X-Wings, which sound different from everything. Like everything has its own sound you don't get ever get confused as to what's happening yes. and part of that is actually genuinely sound design right is... and the, the, there's difference between the pew pew and the pew pew yeah exactly yeah. each little thing is is subtly different mm. so that you can tell when you listen to r2d2 as opposed to another droid and you can hear the, oh, the, the, fi- the different mm. fighters and, and stuff. the sound of a of a lightsaber opening up like it's so iconic mm. and it's very different from the sound of a blaster going off or yeah the, exactly yeah. and ben burt did a really good job on that stuff Mm, yeah. And also the score is really good. Uh, it's amazing. Uh, John I just, Williams. Is- John Williams. It, this is on top of his game, and it carries through in the most glorious ways. Like, um, there's this wonderful bit. Sorry, at the end of Jedi, where Darth Vader is dying, and he has that moment with Luke, and you hear the Imperial March played on a harpsichord. Mm. Magnificent. Oh, I know. It's it's the whole thing is just. I was actually thinking of um. Luke's theme, the do 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 that mm, bit mm, when mm. the suns come up and then that carries through to different like yep. when you can hear Obi Wan talking to him when he's approaching, yeah, and this, all the rest of the soundtrack is different, but then you hear his theme coming through and like things like that where he's so it's, good. John it's Williams perfectly is so good at what he does, perfectly scored and then also perfectly sound edited in. Yeah, just so wonderful. everything sounds terrific. You know, it looks good too, but not as good as Empire Strikes Back, which is our next movie. Yeah, but shall we? wind this one up and get on yes. the Empire? I'm, I don't remember what I gave it last time, but obviously five stars. I've upgraded. I'm five stars Yay. all the way. Okay. Uh, next one we saw was Star Wars Episode Five: The Empire Strikes Back, which was directed by Irvin Kirshner and released in 1980. The plot is something like this. After the Rebel base is attacked by the Empire, Luke trains to become a Jedi while Han, Leia, and the Rebellion try to escape Darth Vader. See, that's I wrote a, that one. That's an excellent plot summary. Thank you. Um, yes. So this is <laughs> this is many people's favorite movie, and also controversially the one that um, people often talk about as not finishing properly. It's really it starts off so strong. Yeah. I just watched this last night, and it really, Me too. <laughs> yeah, it really gets going well. Like Hoth and Han Solo, who's got who's now running out after his friend Luke into the snow. Because they love one another and I don't tauntons. understand how much that means to me. <laughs> I just every and watching that stuff, like watching Han go out after Luke when he was a guy who wouldn't risk his neck for anybody in the movie before, and he's just so worried about him, and he yeah. goes out and he kills the tauntaun and he puts Luke in it, and you're just like, oh my god! And, and Leia back at base, who's like losing so her mind, and she won't leave. She she's evacuated everybody else but she is going to stay and she will die if she has to because she's not leaving until she knows where these two are it's just so it it starts off so strong i know so strong and it looks amazing and it has that wonderful like introduction to the back of darth vader's helmet in front of the death star in front of the like the sky and but that egg thing that he's in as well when they oh yeah that he does all these operations um, from it's yeah, so yeah. cool looking and, we s- and the use of black and white as mm. well when they shoot vader is all really all the chiaroscuro there for film yeah, nerds yeah, yeah. film nerds is fantastic or art nerds um yes and and he is so and we start to see like a little bit of the you know vader the person as well we see like his him with his helmet off a little bit and he has to re- recharge in that egg and that's where he talks from Oh my god, this it's so good, and it just it starts out really strong. I don't think it finishes strong, but it really I starts out. Strong. Do, but I don't think it finishes. I don't. 
think it middles strong. <laughs> I think actually the biggest problem is the middle, not the end. Yeah, the I certainly does. There's a lag there that made yeah. me kind of get a bit meh for a bit. Well, the thing that carries me through Empire every time I watch it is that this movie is so fucking pretty that like every shot or nearly every shot could be a painting. They use smoke and light and all this other stuff. It's so clean. And if you compare this to the worst of the prequels, when everything is like there's 600 things in shot and everything looks yeah, kind of gray. colors and yeah. But th- there's so many colors, but it all se- se- seems to blend into each other till it's kind of gray. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Whereas this has very clear, definitive color use. Like the teal and orange scene when uh, Han Solo gets lowered into carbonite, which is a gorgeous and emotionally effective scene. Mm. Um, but every kind of moment every shot is so much prettier the hoth battle space uh battles in the yeah, in yeah, the yeah. snow and the ice are just gorgeous like amazing oh my God. and so well done and you really understand what's going on like there's a bit where someone i think it's um where gentilis flies around a walker and trips it up with a rope and like you gotta go for Wedge, man. Wedge survives all three movies. I know. He's, like, he's, he's doing the coolest. Great. <laughs> um, it's it, it, that's so well executed. And um, I, I mean, the thing that probably gets me through is Han Solo and Leia's banter. They have the most wonderful banter in this. Like, she gets on board the Millennium Falcon and it won't start because, of course, it won't. And she says, "Would it help if I got out and pushed?" And he he does this wonderful pause and he looks at her and he says, "It, it might." might. <laughs> And but he uses that pause to great effect because he also does that. He's also done it like three minutes earlier when she's called him a scruffy-looking nerf herder, and he looks at her and he's a bit hurt and he's like, "Who's scruffy-looking?" And he does it all the way through. They have these wonderful bits of banter, and then they their first kiss and all this kind of stuff. Those two get me through this, and then of course that all builds up to the bit where he's about to be um, sent into the carbonite, and he's she's like, "I love you," and he's, "I know." Yeah, and it's just like, oh, and and this is this is a movie from which everyone's favorite bits about Han and Leia come from. I think. I also wonder how much of that is Harrison Ford being right. allowed to do his own thing. And this is where I've written. There's a lot of Ford in this character. The way those line readings, the way he is allowed, and and I think it's but it's I know it's definitely t- written by him. George Lucas wrote "I Love You Too" and Harrison Ford changed it to "I Know," yeah. which makes me wonder if those other bits that we like with the "it might" and stuff like that are actually yeah. ad-libbed. And also, but well, yeah, what makes me think that too, um, the way he pauses as well, like he doesn't respond straight away to any of her, any of the stuff she throws at him. And from the Harrison Ford we know now, the grumpy old curmudgeon, the kind of, he's he's got this wonderful heart, but he's also quite gruff on the surface. And um, all the interactions with John Boyega lately, oh, man, they are so are worth they watching. Adorable, they like, are the cutest oh things God. I've ever seen. I just, I just, every time I see something with them, I'm just like, he signed his action figure. I know. And he's like, oh, it's nothing. And and John Boyega's like, he signed my action figure. And and Harrison Ford's like, don't get cocky, kid. And, and John Boyega's so like, cute. oh, we're like best friends. And Harrison Ford's like, I barely you know you. And he's like, just ignore him. I'm sleeping on his couch. <laughs> we're best friends. And then there's another one where they, where John Boyega says we're best friends. And Harrison Ford goes, yeah, we've got matching tattoos. <laughs> <laughs> I love him. That, yeah, right. There's so much of him in this character. Yeah. And you get the idea. And, and I think it's actually key that these two films, which are the best for Han Solo's character, partially because of his little pauses and his sort of line readings that he's allowed to kind of give a bit more to, that they're not directed by George Lucas. And the re- the the relationships and the interactions between all three of them, between like Han and Luke, which has become my obsession, but also between... Mm-hmm. 
Luke and Leia and between Leia and Han, all three of them are so good together and like mm. have their own character dynamics with each other yeah. that are separate from each other but also kind of working with mm-hmm. each other. And I love all the Han and Leia scenes. Mm-hmm. But the thing is I've always loved all the Han and Leia scenes and so now I'm like <laughs> but Yeah, uh, I know I'm just I'm just less familiar with it than you. Like I've seen these yeah. movies maybe three times in my life and see, I didn't see I them until I was older. Oh so well. And so and as I get older, the more I see them, the more excited I get about going back into this world and being yeah. around these people. And which is why I've like worked myself up to a frenzy for seeing Force Awakens this week. So it better be good. I'm so excited. Um, but there's also little things like when uh, Leia and Han are splitting up, Leia's just like super crabby with him. Mm-hmm. And he's all, notice me, notice me. Why don't you like me? And she's all, just go away already so that I don't have to worry about liking you <laughs> and mm. stuff like that. But then when Luke and Han are leaving each other, Han's all like trying to say to be careful and that he cares about him but he can't say it mm-hmm. and Luke just doesn't even know what he can say in response to having to leave and you're just like oh. I, well, also Luke is always doing fighting battles and then just flying away which is kind of annoying yep. uh, I've written down there's also there's a moment when Vader force chokes somebody through a screen yes! and the guy next to him has the best reaction shot in any of these movies because the guy next to him is like he's a he becomes the next yeah, commander he's and he's doing these awkward like side eye things without but trying to keep eye contact with Vader so he doesn't look scared <laughs> he's just like oh crap holy crap holy crap I'm fine and <laughs> the then and then the, yes and the guy's dying next to him and Vader's like you're in charge now <laughs> and he's like excellent my lord what do you want <laughs> but he does that but he's also like like still side eyeing yes! the dead guy next like, to him like oh god oh god oh god oh god yeah, what can I do for you Lord Vader. <laughs> I love it. It's so good. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, there is less happening here. But I think the the story, like, it, it's all about character moments yeah. and the character arcs and this continuing to tell the story. But there is a kind of a lull in the middle of this movie. In fact, there is a whole bunch of time when I didn't write any. Yeah, well, I, I made notes about Yoda, actually. I was, I'd forgotten what Yoda's introduction is like. <laughs> and it's really comic reliefy in a way I'd forgotten. Like he's a full-on, this is a full-on kid's character being introduced at the start. Well, he's also an archetype. Yeah. Of a of a grandmaster who pretends to be yeah. um, a fool so that he can test out what the... Yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd like. forgotten about the fool bit is all. like, he, he, And he's great. I'd just forgotten about it. And I was like, huh, right, this is how we meet Yoda. This wise old sage. And I mean, it's quite well done, I think. I don't, and it also, so it gives a bit of, it actually does give a bit of comic relief, especially when he starts beating R2-D2 with a stick, because frankly, R2-D2 is a little shit and deserves the occasional <laughs> he beating. Is, but he's a great little shit. Yeah. There's the, but the scene when that shifts, I actually really liked. Um, the mm. scene when, when Yoda starts talking to Ben's disembodied voice. Yes. And like Luke can hear him too, but neither of them can see him. And they're both hearing different things in what Ben has to say mm-hmm. is a really well-written scene because yep. all of them kind of have their own agenda going on and Ben's trying to get Yoda to see Luke's side and Luke is being a whiny little pain in the ass and you're like, Luke, just, just hold on to it for a minute so that we can try and be on your side for a second. Mm-hmm. But he just, because he's like too eager and too mm-hmm. much like Anakin. Yeah, <laughs> can't yeah. can't hold it in. And Yoda is... Uh, is getting really frustrated but eventually gives in because Ben's dead and wants him to do something. Yeah. It's a really good scene. Mm-hmm. It works really well. Yeah. My no, question is, do people also get Jedi names? Like the way they get Sith names? Because Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon clearly weren't, were they born with their na- those names or was Obi-Wan born Ben? Yeah, I don't know. 
<laughs> something I, that I I'd be interested in to scene. know that because yeah, Sith has a very clear naming structure. And Obi Wan yes, and Darth, and then something bad, and then something else on yeah, the end. Yeah, and Obi Wan and Qui Gon seem to have similar names. What was Sam Jackson's character called? Mace Windu. Yeah. So no, like there's no pattern there, is there? No. Yeah. So I don't understand how that works. Maybe they just use, you know, their human name or their. You know, I guess Qui Gon and, and Obi Wan could have been born on the same planet. That's true. They with the same naming structure. Some kind of Celtic planet. <laughs> some kind of yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know those Irish Scottish people. Yeah. <laughs> They're all the same. And then I didn't write anything until Boba Fett is in love with Vader because he says, as you wish. And it's basically his only line. Yeah. <laughs> Which made me think of Princess Bride. Yeah. And, uh, and then nothing till Cloud City is so pretty. Right. And Lando shows up and Lando's all sexy and they love him. Yeah, Lando's good. And conflicted. And also interesting because he is somebody who used to be a Han Solo character at the beginning of the movies but is currently a Han Solo character at the end of the movies mm. who's trying to protect an entire culture of people from Darth Vader. Yep. And it's not until he really gets into it that he realizes how much over his head he is. Mm-hmm. And then he tries to help the rebellion. Yeah. So I, Good yeah. character. That whole scene is done very well, like – the way they all sort of sneak around and layers tr- trying to get Luke out. All of that stuff works. Yeah. Work. And Han Solo is tortured and genuinely like, you know, the the reactions of his friends are really mm. real and, mm. and everybody's trying to look after him and stuff. And he's got this wonderful bravado, but he's also, you can see that he's scared. Right, which um, they repeat in the third one. Mm. Um, and poor C-3PO is in parts and then there's like the Chewbacca 3PO yeah. backpack bit. <laughs> Which, is, Which is what I told you about. I don't know if yeah, you actually yeah. got the reference when I was talking about getting Probably a backpack not. like that. Yeah. Um, but that's what I was referring to. Mm. Um, and then the prettiest fight scene ever happens. Um, all of that stuff. The juxtaposition between there's the scene where um, Han goes into the carbonite and then everybody's trying to escape. And then there's the fight scene with the silhouettes and the smoke and the lightsabers mm-hmm. in the smoke that's like the prettiest goddamn scene uh, and then the location for the final fight where they have the big drop and, oh, yeah, and so... I am your father. I, and the funny thing is, like, I can remember bits of dialogue from Star Wars movies, but that I am your father in my head, it, it's always accompanied by that final set mm. where he's, you know, there's the drop and he's, no, and it just it just done so well. I know, and it's so much better than that stupid volcano planet that they used at the end of Revenge of the Sith. Which mm. was trying to be really epic, but I think it just went on too long and there were too many different yeah. bits, like the lightsaber porn where they were like, let's do it over here and over there and over there. Mm. Um, and by the, end of it, by the end of it, you're just like, really? Come on. Yeah. Let's just wrap this up. Mm-hmm. Let's wrap this up. Let's go. Um, so, yeah. And also Luke actually reacts to getting his hand cut off. Yeah. And properly, like a normal actor. Yeah. Okay. So, we we can move on to Return of the Jedi. Um, rating. Ah, five stars. Sure, why not five stars? Well, I would give it less because the middle's not so good, but it's so pretty that yeah, I yeah. don't All right. want to. Revenge and I actually Jedi. like the ending. I think the ending is emotionally effective, even if it is a bit of a down-up. And because mm. we know there's another movie coming, it's not quite the same thing. No. It's kind of like the end of uh, Back to the Future Part 2, where yeah. like he doesn't get to go home, but you know he's eventually going to go home because you know there's another movie coming. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And right. it is like it, it actually has some kind of effect on your emotions as opposed to a lot of the stuff that's trying to but doesn't. Mm. Yeah, and I I know from hearing from people who were actually around when these came out, the wait between the end of Empire with Han Solo and Carbonite to going into the cinema for the next one and going, how are they going to get him out, was a very exciting time. Well, it's a full three years. Yeah, I know. Okay, Uh, the next one, Star Wars, Episode uh, 6, sorry, Episode 6, Return of the Jedi, directed by Richard Marquand. Mark Khan. 
Macron, and released in 1983. The plot uh, is, after escaping from the clutches of Jabba the Hutt, Han and Leia attempt to destroy the rebuilt Death Star while Luke comes face to face with Darth Vader. Yeah. Yes. So I guess he does escape. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Yes. Yes, he does. Um, and we, we open up with the sort of escape from Jabba's tattooing based. Yes. And that is kind of, yeah, it's, it's sort of a, feels a different. It's, it's like we've gone back into the cantina for that whole thing. Mm. Like it's a very different tone to the most of the other movies. It is, but it is within the Star Wars canon. Like yeah, it yeah, is yeah. a throwback to something that we already have felt, that kind of cantina, scoundrelly, dark side of the of the world that they live yeah. in. That's where you can expect to find like the Firefly guys. Right. Which is, of course, Firefly is basically if Han Solo had his own show and his own crew yeah. and all that sort of stuff. Well, but that's that's right. And I quite liked this scene. I There was a lot of – because I was watching Misogyny? It, Yes, yes, there was the whole um, poor slave woman who gets killed in that pit. Yeah. Um, but also like, um, because which was, by the way is the only woman of character in the entire prequel series. Uh, original, woman character sorry, killed. Original. No, no, she's the only woman of character Char- in the uh, of color. I've uh, clearly been talking for too long. She's yeah. the only woman of color in the original. And they si- kill her in that horrible without way. any lines while being mm-hmm. super sexualized. And also as a, she's enslaved. Yeah, um, the actress is called Femi something. Right. Um, and so she's killed, which is horrible. But I was also because I was watching the special editions. There was all these stupid little animals everywhere, and, <laughs> and I swear to God, a good chunk of the animals in that Jabba the Hut compound were repurposed for labyrinth. Like a few years later, <laughs> I yeah. really felt that. Yeah, yeah, that little goblin dude, the mm-hmm. one that just laughed all the time. Uh, nowhere near as bad as Big Lips CG lady singing, which that song also is period inappropriate. And it's so jarring. Yeah. It's okay. so jarring. You know, the the, the alien that does mm. the I wah, do know. wah song. Yeah, yeah. I was just like, ugh, this music. No, but if you listen to it, it couldn't have come out of 1983. Mm. It doesn't sound like it came out of 1983. And, not, and it doesn't sound like anything else in the Star Wars series. So it, it was really jarring. It really was me. jarring, yeah. Yeah. Although uh, the, the, bef- even before the Tatooine stuff, we actually see – Vader arriving at the new Death Star first. <gasps> yes, and we do. And it's what so that well does done. that makes me really happy is it sets up a plot point for later, mm. which is the codes to get in, which is a very minor point. But then later on when it happens, you're like, oh, yeah, they do need codes to yes, get in. Yes, that's right. And that's something, again, that the prequels never do. No, it's just clever storytelling. Exactly. And also we have that amazing scene of Vader. He arrives unexpectedly as well, and so his people are running around like, oh, Lord Vader, no, no, blah, blah, yeah. blah. Yeah, it's great. But that later on, there's a better bit when the emperor arrives. But that bit does does a bit I, to actually. Set it and up. the emperor was interesting because I noticed. So we're talking about chiaroscuro with Darth Vader and and very much black and white. When the emperor, he has the little splashes of red. Yeah, yeah, like the Pope. Yeah, he has cardinals, and I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, that's super cool. I noticed mm. that too. Um, they're the imperial guards, the red ones, mm. and they have the coolest design. Yeah, uh, I actually wrote down that the toilet girl seemed to be the only do- woman of color. And then I looked it up. So and she was. I, yeah, yeah, she was. And and that was, yeah. I mean, um, Jabba is horrible and we know that. And we've got to get, we've got to get through this scene and he treats everybody horribly. And 
Um, but he treats women especially horribly. Yeah, right. That's and and, that's, and sex in a sexualized way, which is mm-hmm. always the issue, isn't it? Yeah, and that's the whole slave layer bikini thing, which uh, layer the hut slayer. Thanks. Yeah, exactly. So there's this whole campaign to change that to layer the yeah. hut slayer because she wears that so outfit when she kills Jabba. I'm going to tell you this tidbit because I know you're going to love it. Do you know where I first learned about Leia in a gold bikini? Because of course I hadn't seen these until 1997. Where Ross on Friends. <laughs> There's a whole oh yes, episode remember. about how Ross Ross's sexual awakening coincided with seeing Princess Leia in a gold bikini. Right. And then eventually and the episode ends with Rachel dressing up in the gold bikini. And he sees his mother's yeah. face instead and then he's all ill because there's yep. something about Joey has said that earlier. Yep, yep, yep. Or Chandler. Anyway, that's where I first learned about the slave Leia because, of course, I hadn't, hadn't seen it at that point. Anyway, wow. That, yeah, we were literally just talking about Ross and, and Rachel And how awful earlier. he is. And how yeah. awful he is and how – and uh, that's another one of the things about Ross that's awful. The parallel between like Jar Jar and, and Anakin because mm. Anakin is awful, but at least he has a journey like Rachel, whereas Jar Jar, like Ross, goes nowhere and is an annoying, whiny man right. for the entire time. Exactly. And Leia gets out of that bikini as soon as she damn well can because she is awesome and she slays Jabba the Hutt. In, a, yeah. in like a visceral way as well, she uses the chains that he had on her yeah. to um, garrote him. Which is so amazing. great. And even before that, when she's in her bounty hunter outfit, she's willing to like let a grenade explode and kill everybody in order to try and get her yeah. back. She's just so hardcore, this woman. Right. So badass. And it, that really does carry through all the films. And then we have like super vulnerable, wet, blind Han. Yeah, adorable. Like, so adorable. And he's still trying. Like, it's okay. Uh, Jabba, I was coming back to pay you. And when like, he and Chewie are reunited in oh. that cell, I was just like, oh, my babies. And then there's this bit where he's like, Luke's going to take care of it. Luke can't even take care of himself, let alone mount a rescue mission. I Because he doesn't know. And then the, yeah. the Jedi, he's become a Jedi knight. And he's like, I'm out of it for a little while. And everybody has delusions of grandeur. I know. And then Adorable. I wrote in giant letters, Han, with love hearts around <laughs> I just, oh, he's so great. He's so great. And there's just so much going on in those scenes. But yeah. then there's my favorite, what I think might be my favorite bit of the entire movie. The Salak pit? No, no, no. The Rancor trainer. When oh. Luke gets dropped into the Rancor pit and it tries to kill him and he kills it instead. And then the big, like, trainer guy comes over and sees his poor dead Rancor and he's crying. Yes! Yes! Oh, I noticed that. I was like, I oh! That's so sad and wonderful and like it's such a weird, why did weird you, you choice. Need to but include it's it, so great, but it's also amazing. And that's how you do world building well. Yeah, because like all of these characters have their own lives and their own interests going on, and this guy clearly is somebody who would really built up this creature, and he, you know, yeah. cares about it, and he wants it to win, and when it dies, he's just devastated. Mm. <laughs> it's wonderful, and he has to be like supported to go out. Oh, it's so great. Yes. I uh, love that moment. Uh, but then we do head to the Salak pit, and yep. that's one of my favorite. There's another um, His Han- name, by the way, is Malakili. Cool. I looked it up. Um, but, it, but there's also Han Solo starts pulling the same shit he was pulling on Leia in the last movie on Luke. Luke says, I used to live here, you know. And Han, pause. You're going to die here, you know. <laughs> and it's just, God, he's wonderful. Uh, and Luke says, I've taken care of everything. And there's a pause. And he goes, oh, great. <laughs> it's really funny. <laughs> I don't like the CG that's been added to the Sarlacc pit just because there's, mm. again, if you'd done it subtly, but there's too much and it makes the screen look busy again. Yep, yep. Um, and that annoys me. And then Boba, Boba Fett, of course, gets accidentally killed by Han Solo, which yep. seems like an appropriate end for everybody's favorite character that's really pointless, guys. I know his yeah. armor looks cool, 
but he's pointless. so pointless. Like, I I do not get Boba Fett fandom, and I never will. No. he He's literally there to move a character from one place to another and be in love with Darth Vader, apparently. But, yeah. And then, again, Luke fights and runs away. Oh, and this is really important to me because you may have seen this. I recently re-reblogged this great deleted scene from the original movie where there's a s- sandstorm and the tr- the our our heroes are like it's just after they've escaped and uh they're trying to get inside and han says leia says is it getting any better and han says oh all i can see is like blurry sand and she's like that's all any of us can see and he's like great i must be getting better (laughs) which is kind of funny but then he thanks luke in person for coming to get him yeah and luke says think nothing of it and han goes i think i owe you one and luke's all like smirky bashful shy thing going on that he does every time that han says something like that to him which is just adorable yeah (laughs) well no I think Han is in love with Leia, but I think Luke is in Luke love is with in Han. Love with, oh, sorry, Luke. And is Han, Han loves Luke, but not in that way. Um, yeah. <laughs> but it's just a really nice little scene, and it works much better than them just saying it over the comms when yeah. Luke is leaving. It's much more affecting, and I'm kind of sad that that bit got cut out because it's a really good scene. Yeah. And, you know, there are other bits in this movie that aren't maybe that necessary, and also it's not that long. <laughs> they could have more. Yeah, I no. liked. I uh, you, we'll put that on the Tumblr. It's a really nice little scene, and you guys will enjoy it. I think. Mm. Um, but it's also got a nice Han and Leia interaction and some C three PO bits and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it does annoy me that Luke's always just running away. Right. Yeah, because he runs off to Yoda again, who's also a dick in this. <laughs> yeah, but he's a dying dick. Yeah, so yeah. We'll so we have him. we have to deal with. But yeah, he's like bury your feelings deep down. I'm like, you really think that's gonna work? You've tried <laughs> this before. Um, but anyway, yeah. So. And then we move on to – we repeat. We move on to Darth Vader and we basically repeat the shot from the last movie where we see the back of his helmet, except this time it's next to the not-completed Death Star. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, they do a lot of that to set up shots, like yeah. that put put Darth Vader next to something so that you know that the thing is scary. Mm, yeah. You know what I mean? And uh, there is a moment earlier in that when Luke thinks that both Obi-Wan and, and Yoda are telling him to kill Darth Vader when actually they both say confront. Yes. Which is really interesting, um, I thought, as character moments. Yep. And then we get to see Mon Mothma, the only other lady with lines, mm-hmm. who's the leader of their little rebellion. Yeah. Many Bothans died to bring us this information, and then they expose it for a bit. Yeah, yeah. And then we meet Admiral Akbar, And then we end up quite quickly, I think, on Endor, um, starting the uh, actual action of the thing. And this is where I realized how racist the Ewoks are. Well, I wrote that. I wrote yeah. Ewoks equals colonial racism. Yeah, but, so um, bad. Um, but also, Endor is a lot of this movie. Oh, basically, yeah, because it's the only place that uh, Han and Leia really spend any chunk of time. It is a lot of this. Like, no, but the, even the battle on the Death Star is really about the bat part of the Battle of Endor. Like, right. it is a good two-thirds of this movie that's just the Battle of Endor and right. preparing for it and everything. Yeah, no, exactly. Which I think is one of the biggest problems with Return of the Jedi is that there's not a lot that happens here. There's not no. a lot of, like, story. It's basically just they get Han back. There's a little scene on Dant- on. Not, not Dantooine, on da- in the Dagobah system. Yep. And then, then we, there. Mo- we move to, yeah, um, Endor. So, and, and then so, and there's, I do like the, um, the bike chase through the, the speeder chase. The speeder chase. Yeah. I think that's great. I think it's well done. But it clearly is, the inspiration for the, uh, for the pod, pod racing. racing. Yeah. It's well done. Again, maybe like the pod racing goes on a little too long, but it, mm. it really is cool. And I like that. But yeah, I was too busy being like, wow, look at all these racist tropes about the Ewoks. Like, they're, they're cannibals. They mm-hmm. meet a droid for the first time and they take him on as a deity. They 
They literally um, are the, the African music, kind of. The, yeah, the music, the way they do the drumming music yeah. and stuff. It's really bad. It is. I mean, Ewoks are also good guys and right. help them save the Empire and, I mean, not the Empire, save the Rebellion and uh, and are very, like, vicious fighters but can also be kind. I think one of the most interesting things to me about the Ewoks is how Leia manages to befriend them while mm. all of the dumbass boys are like, like get, a- yeah, <laughs> get themselves tied up and, yeah. When, as soon as Leia's gone, they just turn into, like, a mess. They're like, I don't know what to do. They're what do absolutely do? <laughs> useless without her around. I love it so much. That's basically the whole thing of these movies. Yeah, they are. They're useless without her around. And both Leia and Luke obviously keep Han around because mm. he's so cute. Because generally he just They're kind both of gets in love in with trouble. Him. Yeah. There's also, I, I wrote, uh, and then, you know, we have that stuff, but then after that happens, and the, the bad C-3PO is a god thing, which is oh, awful. Oh, that's so bad, yeah. The You're My Sister scene has really nice lighting on it, and it looks pretty. Yeah. It's a necessary scene. Yeah, I actually think that one's done quite well because um, of then Han coming in and being it's jealous. Good, yeah, and but it's a good moment for them because she's just like, hold me, and he's like... Yeah, you know what? I'll put all the other stuff aside and do that, yeah. Yeah. And then, of course, and all that stuff is also the stuff that's been moved into the trailer for the new movie. You know, in my family, The Force is Strong. My father had mm-hmm. it. My sister has not I have it. And then also the hold me bit. Yeah, but um, there's the, um, I know, somehow I've always known. And I'm like, really? Even when you were kissing him, you knew he was your brother? That's kind of icky. Yeah. Well, that's it. Well, you would think As she would know from when it. at the end of Empire, she he Force talks to her. Yeah. You would think they might have known from then. Yeah. But, but she still kisses him after that at one no, point. No, but she doesn't kiss him on the lips. No, that's true. They do a lot of, like, kissing in general. And also yep. there was a thing recently where when Harrison Ford and Mark Hamill and, and Carrie Fisher got back, to back, back together, they all kissed each other. So I think there's it's more – they come from a more kissy kind of era. Yeah. Whereas we would do more hugs now. It's much more – there was more kissing then. Yeah. I think. So I don't think that's the same thing. Yeah, there's yeah. more like cheek and forehead and yeah. all that sort of thing. I like kissing. I would believe that she knows from the point in um in Empire where he talks to her via yeah. the force. I I don't I'm not surprised at that. Um But it still seems like George Lucas is trying to retcon his own movies that we saw three that, that everybody saw like seven saw three years, years six earlier. years ago, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of annoying. But the the lighting is really beautiful on that scene. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. noticed when I was watching it this time. Well, yeah, because so often you get a scene like that, it's too dark. Yeah. And it's perfect. Exactly, yeah. There's just enough light and it's soft and it's pretty and it's moody and mm. and mm-hmm. the it brings like the the actors also bring the emotion and the score brings the emotion but mm. i think the whole thing kind of pulls it together mm. and leia's like so much more relaxed than we've ever seen her she's got her hair yeah, down and yep. she's uh there's a it's a moment between battles that she has to do mm-hmm. and and then luke brings in this kind of heavy information for her to deal with while she's finally kind of relaxed and happy which mm. kind of ruins it for her and yeah it's interesting yeah, it is. And then Luke goes off to fight Vader or mm-hmm. to confront Vader. And it's I think this is one of my favorite bits. I just love the way this happens where he he refuses to stop calling him father mm-hmm. and he won't fight him. I mean, he, you know, threatens he talks about the sister and and that and there's brings a struggle him back between fight. fighting and not fighting, yeah. Yeah, and the emperor who is also equally um, talented at emotional manipulation, keeps calling Luke his apprentice and Luke mm-hmm. keeps resisting. I just think that was beautifully done all the way up to the bit we talked about just before where where Luke, you know, they have that moment where he takes the mask off and they have a moment together and it's just gorgeous. But also up to the moment when he says, I'm a Jedi like my father before me, at yeah. which point he's reclaiming Anakin from 
from the, the empire Sith. Yeah. that has turned him in, into Darth. The empire yeah. and I just Vader. I love I love that bit for the that character moment and and the bit and the where score you, yeah it's beautiful <gasps> so and pretty. the bit where oh. you do see Anakin under that mask start to rankle at the emperor and his orders and it just it I think that's done beautifully yeah so oh, that stuff is all really good the stuff down on the planet is okay yeah yeah that's fine like it's kind of cute them fighting and and 3PO and R2 creating a diversion and like and fighting. the Ewoks yeah it's it's all cute and that one Ewok that cries cuz his parent has died in the fight yeah but it's funny cuz like Han and Leia are basically you know on the least interesting front of this battle like yeah. Lando is off in the Millennium Falcon and and that's a cool bit and Luke is off confronting Being Darth sexy. Vader in my notes Lando is sexy yeah um <laughs> and with Admiral Ackbar it's a trial uh but they actually have the most boring job, which is like breaking into the back door of this place to shut down the um the shields. Yeah, and they keep trying to tie it in with Lando going, give Han some more time. He'll do it. Yeah. He says he also says Han instead of Han and everybody else says Han. Well, there's a, Nobody ever knows how to pronounce the names. No, there's Leia also and Leia and, and Leia yeah. among – yeah, I know. I noticed that, which was funny. I liked that. It's I've said a bit about languages, haven't I? The languages. How do languages work? No, you said that to me but not on mic. Oh, okay. Well, at this point, I was wondering about how languages work because uh, Lando speaks fish. Like, one of his people is a fish person. Oh, yeah, totally racist too, by the way, that one. Yeah, I know. They're all yeah. – There's some really Let's racist aliens. Let's just establish that all of the aliens are in some way racist. Yeah. Probably even Admiral Akbar in some way that I haven't noticed. is mm. He must be, like, with a name like Akbar, it's probably an attempt at a Muslim stereotype, mm -hmm. my guess would be. Yeah. But uh, I haven't noticed exactly how. He seems okay. But Yeah, yeah whereas the fish alien, the sort of, that's an obvious sort of Chinese or yeah, Asian yeah. stereotype. But how does Lando speak fish? We've never seen him interact with any fish people before. Maybe the so Millennium clearly... Falcon, has, has, Falcon has translation circuits like the TARDIS. Maybe, but or then the Enterprise. But they clearly don't all have translation circuits. Otherwise, C-3PO would be out of a job. I don't know. So, like, and, and like, Obi-Wan speaks R2 language in the prequels. But, like, how would he learn R2 language? He only gets an R2 unit later on. Or it's an R4. He has R4. Well, the, but the thing is, if he, he flies with an R unit, then they... Cause it seems they would like, have to learn the whole language. Well, but, but just to fly R2 with the types, unit. R2 says things, and they come across on Luke's screen as typing. And I don't read them, but, but Luke I'm assuming that comes across... But Luke talks to R2 when there's no typing. I don't know. <laughs> it's all, like... I don't like know. That. Maybe everybody like seems... in this world, it's a bit like Chinese in Firefly that everybody has a bit of like all the other languages. No, but like Fishman doesn't main speak Wookiee and but, but, but it's like Wookie, there's but... like a main droid language, and Han speaks Wookiee because he's got a Wookiee on crew who he works with who he really likes, and Lando speaks fish because he's got a fish on crew who is like his first officer. <laughs> but everybody speaks all the other languages at all Not times. All the other languages. Everybody seems Some to speak them. Jabba the Hutt language until C-3PO is there to translate for the. Han speaks Jabba the Hutt and Chewie and Wookiee. That's and because Wookie. Han's been around the block a few times. He's probably needed to pick up enough like, <laughs> to get by on. You can rationalize all of it, but at the end of the day, everybody seems to speak way more, la a higher number of languages than we can rationally expect most people to be able to speak. Okay. I mean, in my opinion. I'm sure there's some kind it's of just, like... It's just they throw in another alien and another language and everybody's just like, yep, I understand what they're saying. Everybody speaks English, yes. Yeah, it's late. I think it's just lazy writing. Probably. Instead of everybody speaks English. Everybody speaks English would have also been lazy writing, but at least we would have understand why everybody understands each other. Mm. Okay. And it's not like they can read the subtitles. No. No, true. Then And then Darth Vader does another no, so that 
brings our no count up to three. Yeah, and and closes things off. Mm-hmm. And then we have a giant party on Endor, and we get to see the hugs, hugs for everybody, hugs for everybody, and we also see the um the ghosts of Obi Wan, Yoda, and. And Hayden Christensen. Oh God. So this is after they do the CG edition of different cu- different planets celebrating. So you see yeah. Coruscant celebrating and all these other places, which obviously wasn't in the original because they weren't didn't exist in the original. But in this rewatch, I've discovered that they rescored it. So the Yubnub song, which was originally there, which you've probably never heard if you've never seen the original. No, probably not. I shall have to look it up. Um, the Ewoks sing a song that that's all Yubnub da 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 da, and they like. It's a whole different feel. It's very, yeah. very wildly different from the score that they ultimately put in, which is has a slightly sadder note with the celebrations. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and obviously it's not as long because they don't have all the inserts of the other shots. Um, and then everybody's happy. They all see each other again. There's all the hugs, and then they insert fucking Hayden Christensen instead of I can't remember the name of the actor who plays Anakin in the well there's in the original multiple. series. Multiple. I think it's a so it's like David Prowse in the suit most of the time. Yeah. But then there's a. I think when they take the mask off at the end, it's a different actor. Um, I don't remember. I'd have to look it up, but I think it is. But I, I don't know. Maybe it is David Prowse. Okay, but then that guy is also at the end. Yeah. And, and the thing that I noticed this time around, I was like, but Luke wouldn't even recognize him. No, he's only ever seen Darth Vader or the old man with the puffy face. Right. So he wouldn't even recognize that this is his father. So why would he even be happy to see him? And Mm. also, why would you put that in there? It's so disrespectful to the original actor and it's so disrespectful to the original work. And the original actor was pretty disrespected anyway because he had his whole voice performance. Exactly. Well, um, no. Yeah, but I think they – did he do the voice performance? Yeah, he he did it. Okay, so again – I'm going on the Anthony Daniels interview, <laughs> the slightly bitchy one where he talks about how David Prowse got screwed over and he could have been too, but for whatever reason they liked his voice and his voice got used and David Prowse's voice didn't. So right. there was a performance done on the set okay. at some point. It might have only been in the first film. Well, but, you know, yeah. James L. Jones was also one of only two actors in the entire – oh, wait, three – Actors in the entire series who weren't white, so yeah, exactly. <laughs> and he doesn't get his face in there; it's somebody else's face. So they were disrespected on both fronts. But right. why would you then disrespect them even more by inserting Hayden Christensen into that shot? It, yep. And it looks bad. It doesn't even look right. Yep. And it's the second last shot of the entire series, which means that you end on a bum note where you're like, "Why would you do this, Lucas?" Yeah. Instead of a good note where you're like, "Yay, everybody's happy." Well, see, now <laughs> in four days' time, there'll be another one, so we won't have to end on that forever. <gasps> amen. So yeah, I think have we covered everything that we want to talk about? Yeah, about we've talked about all the show, all the, the movies, movies that exist. So I guess all we have to say now is come and watch it with us on Friday night. And if you can't watch it with us on Friday night, hang around for next week's episode, which will be a live show done after we've watched it with an audience. Sorry, we should, of course, give a, a rating for Jedi. Four stars. Yeah, four stars for me as well. It's the weak link, but it's still pretty good. Um, yes, so we'll wrap up. Um, yes? You have anything oh, more I to just say? thought maybe we could talk about what our oh, hopes oh, are for oh, the Force, Force Awakens. Awakens. Well, yes, um, of course we can. Um, just because I thought it might be interesting, like the things for yeah. me that have made me so excited about it. We obviously, I like J.J. Abrams. I know a lot of you guys don't like him and that's fine. We all have different opinions, but personally, I like him. And I think this is the project that he's most passionate about. And he has, I, I think he's going to make some really good looking films. Mm-hmm. 
which is going to be a nice change from the prequels. Yes. Um, and also, I'm so, so excited that our leads are a, a black guy, a Latina guy, and a woman, and that we've got Captain Phasma on the bad guy side, who's a woman in, like, full armor that's not all sexualized. Mm. All of that stuff is super, super exciting to me. And so, I think that stuff, plus it seems like the cast have a genuine chemistry. Mm. Whenever you see them all together, they're really f- having fun together, and they seem to like each other, and... That could all be pressed, but it seems really genuine, and they seem really excited to be in Star Wars. Um, and yeah, stuff. and they seem. It seems also like they're not going to be exploited or have some of the problems that the young cast members had in the first trilogy. Like I, I hear that John Boyega is being mentored by Robert Downey Jr. Um, to kind of help him through the transition from this crazy, crazy thing. I think there's a lot more support, again, for the young actors. Like, it seems like Carrie Fisher and Mark Hamill kind of were just thrown into this thing as 19-year-old kids who were suddenly the most famous people in the world, had mm. toys on sale around. I think there's a little bit more support for them now, um, which I think will be good. But, yeah, I I'll probably share most of that excitement. I've kind of been trying to avoid as much as I can talk and spoilers and speculation uh, I look. I haven't been trying to avoid it, and I know very little. Well, there's apparently there's a toy that's a spoiler, but I haven't. seen I saw it. that, and it isn't as much of. It really isn't as much of a spoiler as you think it is. Okay, well, I maybe I'll go and have a look. Um, um but, no, don't. I so, wouldn't. Don't go have a look. But like, I'm just saying, I have not been actively avoiding spoilers because I don't really. I'm not somebody who generally cares much about spoilers. For me, right. it's about the like. Because half the time when I see a movie, I can figure out what's going to happen in five minutes anyway. Um, it's just from watching movies a lot that you get that. Mm. But for me, it's about how well you tell it anyway. But yeah, at I, the same time, there's not a lot. J.J. Abrams is notoriously well, spoiler-phobic. Yeah, and he's he's good at this stuff and Disney is good at this stuff because mm. look at what they do with Marvel. I also really like J.J. Abrams. Um, He got me into Star Trek. I'm pretty sure he can get me into Star Wars as well. And I, yeah, I share a lot of those things. I feel like these kids who are, and they are kids to us now, um, which is funny They're because you were babies. you were born the year the Jedi came out. It's not like I we're know. that old, but um, like we're just I, these kids seem like. I, I have lots of hope for them. They really seem to love the franchise as well. They love that they're in it. They love their characters, it all, even down to the smaller parts. And people like um, Gwendolyn Christie is so excited about being in this movie. Everyone's so excited. And I just I love this bit of being a fan. I love this bit of just like totally, um, you know, just we've just gone all in 100%, mm. fully excited about a movie. I haven't felt this way in a while and it's and wonderful. And people say not to get your hopes up and you're like, why wouldn't That's you get your hopes up? That's the best bit. This is the best bit. This is the, the anticipation is just, I love it. I just this is where you get wait. to read all these articles where like John Boyega talks about picking up a lightsaber first the first time and he, there's a quote from it where he says, have you ever felt glory? Yeah, and S- Samuel L. Jackson interviewing heard. Gwendolyn Christie <laughs> and asking funny. her about her lightsaber and she's like, I can't talk about that. I can say that Phasma has a blaster and he's like, do you have a dope-ass purple lightsaber? <laughs> like the only other person in the universe who has a dope-ass purple lightsaber. Like wonderful stuff. I just it's He so also funny. went up to John Boyega at a party and he was like, you my son! Because they're the, like, the only two black and Lando are the yeah. only black. So there was some theory that he might be his grandson or something. <laughs> and he was like, yeah, you're my son. 
<laughs> um, funny. I'm all for that. <laughs> he actually, I think, he, I believe at one point he says, yo, Black Jedi. <laughs> like before he turned around, he said to John Boyega, yo, Black Jedi, you're my son. It's really funny. Um, yeah, exactly. I just, I'm, I don't even care. I'm just really excited. I'm really curious about what Poe Dameron's going to be like because we know yeah, so and little about I him. And we've not seen Luke at all. Is he going to be true. Rilo Ken? Not true. We haven't and seen he's not Kylo Ren. Kylo Ren, Rilo Ken. <laughs> Star Wars name. <laughs> um, I know. I, so, I, where, where do we see him? I don't think. Well, uh, there's there his hand. There's oh, a shot of okay, his hand right. touching R2-D2 in okay. the trailer. And also, he's he's not Kylo Ren. My My going theory, which is not really supported by all that much stuff, my going theory is that Kylo Ren uh, and Rey are siblings. Oh, yep. And that they are um, either Luke or Leia's kids. And that they are siblings and they were separated when they were young, like right. Luke and, and Leia. We, we know that um, that Carrie Fisher's actual daughter has a role in the film yes. as well. Yeah. Billy Lord? Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So that that's my th- – I, I – don't for a second think that Luke is Kylo Ren. Um, I think that Luke is disenfranchised and in hiding because his yep. attempts to rebuild the Jedi didn't work. Mm-hmm. So when we're looking at The Force Awakens, we're looking at uh, Kylo, Ray, and Finn coming up and and mm-hmm. having and the Force. Leia. And perhaps Leia, I don't know, but... Uh, she's a general! Oh my god, she's a general! Yay! Yeah. So Which is, she was basically a general in the first trilogy. Yeah. Anyway. So, yeah. That's that's my theory at the moment. There are a lot of th- other theories going around out there. Uh, we know that Poe Dameron's not the son of any of them because there's some comic where it said who his parents were. Okay. But I feel like he must be the Han Solo of the group. Yeah. But there's so little information about him. Oh, well, that'd be a good part so, for Oscar Isaac, to be honest. Yeah. Make and good. I'm really interested in, in what he's going to be like because Oscar Isaac. And it's so yep. exciting. It's so I know. Exciting. It's so exciting. I keep seeing the stuff of Oscar Isaac and Domino Gleeson. Of course, they're in Ex Machina together, but they're also yeah. in this together. And, oh, that's right. Donald Gleeson's in this. I'd forgotten yeah. about that. He is. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Simon Pegg. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Lupita Nyong'o. Yes, is yes. In this as Maz Kanata. Um, it's her voice that we hear in the trailers a lot of the time talking. Yep. So, uh, sh- it I, I know a lot like about what she's doing because I have her on Instagram. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, she's great. She's amazing. <laughs> so I'm very, very excited. Um, yeah, I think we've said all we need to say about Force okay. Awakens. Um, I don't so know. So come and see it with us. Yes. We're so excited to see it, guys. Yes. Yeah, so if, if you do want to come and see it and you're in Canberra and you can be bothered staying up till nine o'clock on a Friday night, Come and see it with us this week. It is – we're very excited. Nine o'clock is when we start. <laughs> yeah. Um, we're very excited. You'll get to be in a live episode. Um, we are Come and dress up. Yeah, come and dress up. There are prizes for the best costumes. And we're actually dressing up. Yeah. And, yes. I never dress up as anything. This yeah. is a very big deal we, for we me. Do not, we do not dress up, but we are dressing up. And we're very, very excited. And I, I think the cinema is quite excited too. They have like 12 screenings a day and their staff are going to be dressed up. And we really, really can't wait. So, yeah, if you do want to come along – it's on our website, silverscreenqueens.com. There is a link to the tickets. There are still a few left. Uh, we would love to see you there. And um, we are just too excited about Star Wars to really think about any other movies <laughs> it's so true. right now. Um, but we will see you um, We'll see you next week for the live episode. And I guess there's Christmas. I, I guess, you know, there is Christmas, not just Star Wars. Um, <laughs> no, don't be silly. This year is just that we're, we're skipping Christmas. There's just Star Wars and then the year ends and it'll be next year. <laughs> Pretty much. Um, so, yeah. Anyway, thank you very much for listening to the Silver Screen Queens podcast. Uh, if you want to buy tickets to our screening of The Force Awakens or find our show notes or old episodes, they're on our website, silverscreenqueens.com. If you want to read Katie's review of 
Star Wars The Force Awakens, once that comes out, or any of the other movies she's watched this year, find them on her blog, silverscreenqueen.wordpress.com, or hit us up on social media at Facebook, facebook.com forward slash silverscreenqueens, screen underscore queens on Twitter, and tumblr.silverscreenqueens.com on Tumblr. I have so much stuff on Tumblr, man. We have goes so back a year. I have so much stuff on there. We have there. lots of Star Wars on there this week. Um, so yeah, thank you very much for listening. Bye. Bye. <laughs>